you know, you really see people level up in these races. Like when you are pushing yourself to your mental and physical max, and you are finding, like you, you see people on the course and you see them reaching inside themselves to see if they have anything left. Like you're leveling up at that moment. Like people ask like, why would people put Iron Man on their body? Why would you put a corporate brand on the body? I was like, because it's life-changing. Because people's lives change at mile 24 of that marathon. It is life-changing what you're able to do when you push yourself. Like you don't know what you find in yourself until you're there. You cannot replicate it in training. And there are parts of you, you might not like it, or you might love it. You might show up, you might not. You don't know until you get there, but you always find out something about yourself that you would never have known unless you put yourself in that environment. And people just, like, you see it. Like, they, people's lives change around you. They level up in those moments. And it is unbelievably powerful to be a part of it. Um, and I, there's not a, a race, you know, like a hard, that there's no Ironman I've done where I haven't been changed afterwards. It just, it just happens. Um, and it's really powerful. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 46 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. At Ironman Coeur d'Alene, on a brutal day with temps over 100 degrees that caused an attrition rate of 27%, Jennifer Volman battled the elements, dug deep, executed her race plan brilliantly, and made her Kona dream come true. Can you say grit? But to do it in front of her cheering six-year-old daughter, stepdaughter, and partner was truly amazing. Jennifer felt she had lost a lot of who she was after leaving her job as CEO of an education nonprofit to stay home with her daughter. She loved being a mom, but didn't know who she was anymore. Quote, Triathlons gave me a place to put my energy and rediscover who I was. I'm not kidding when I say it changed my life. I'm a different person because of it. I'm a better mom, friend, partner, person because of it. It is a defining part of my life, and through it, I've discovered so much about myself that I didn't know. My resilience, endurance, ability to push through pain to see what's on the other side. Jennifer connected with her coach and mentor, Marilyn Chakota, four years ago when she'd been doing CrossFit and lifting, and Marilyn suggested giving Try a shot. Jennifer was hooked, found her passion, and in just four short years has gone from a try newbie to qualifying for Kona. Talk about inspiring. Today, Jennifer also coaches athletes, helping them define and meet their goals and discover the athletes they know lives inside through her company, Finding Endurance. On Jennifer's why, quote, she knows how hard I train, knows it's my dream, knows what a big deal it is, and for her to see me do it, it's really powerful. Powerful for her because she's so proud of me and got to see that my dreams came true with so much hard work and with time and tears and sweat, and she saw that come together, and I can't think of a better experience to have with their child than experiencing that with you. Wow. Gives me chills. There's so much inspo in this episode. I hope you all enjoy this convo as much as we did. So let's dive on in and take a listen. Good evening, Jennifer Volman. Welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. How are you doing this evening? 
I'm great. How are you? Doing fantastic. What's the weather like in Phoenix? Was it like 120 out there or? Oh, see, I'm not in Phoenix because it is 120. I'm in Flagstaff and it's like a balmy 85 today. So we, uh, I always spend the summer up in cooler weather. That's how you live in the desert is you don't live there in the summertime. Nice, nice. Absolutely. You can't beat that. That's probably the mecca for ultra marathoners, marathoners, triathletes, some amazing uh, training opportunities there. You got the NAS Elite squad's been rolling out there for years. And before we came on the air, we we're talking about Ribs a little, my man Ribs, who I've gotten to know after doing a, a 60 mile charity run for him. So you must run into some pretty epic athletes out there while you're getting your work done. It's amazing. I'll, um, I'll be driving down some of these forest roads going somewhere and I'll just try to guess the people's paces, like the group of like the Hoka Onai team that's like running next to like 530, 545. <laughs> it's, um, it's pretty amazing um, being around just, you know, and there's you know, last year there was people training for the Olympics or the year prior to that, you know, that were out here from the triathletes. It's, it's pretty stellar to be around so many awesome athletes. Yeah, that's got to be inspiring as hell. You got the whole Lake Mary Road contingent, right? They're always up oh, there, yeah, up, up there that. rocking it. And I feel like I know Flagstaff, even though I've never set foot in Flagstaff, just because I see them doing their workouts. And they, they do this such an amazing job of sharing. I mean, they're, on the, they're videoing stuff on the roads. They have cameramen out there, like shooting stills. And they all share. I mean, you know, Alafine, Steph, I mean, Scott, you know, Scott Fobbs. I mean, they all share. And, and Ben Rosario's great at kind of creating this open culture. So yeah, good stuff, right? Yeah, it's been great. I actually just had Ironman Coeur d'Alene. Um, and so I did all my last, my last big block of training was up here. So it was pretty fun to do it in all these kind of like super famous training spots. I felt uh, inspired and more prepared than I even uh, thought I was going to be afterwards. Yeah. I mean, that is an epic place to be able to go rock your training out to get ready. And uh, for everybody listening at home, uh, Jennifer qualified for Kona at Coeur d'Alene in 100 plus degree temperatures, total insanity, crazy race conditions. But we got a long ways to go before we're going to get into her blow by blow on the race, which is going to be super fun. We'll definitely tackle that at the end. But we got to get to all the other good stuff before then. But that's so cool. Now, how long did you go up to flag uh, to get that last block of training in? Um, so I was up for three and a half weeks before flying out to Idaho. Um, and now I'm back up here. So we're spending July, uh, June and July up in Flagstaff. Nice. Nice. Love it. And um, as family life, like growing up as a kid, you grew up in Phoenix, right? I did. Yep. I'm a native. I'm a native Phoenician, as we like to say. Okay. So you're used to the hot weather and that had to be a little bit of an advantage for you, right? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I do my best not to train in it. I'll get up as early as I need to be. Um, but you can't like, it's unavoidable. You you obviously have to ride your bike in the heat if you're going to ride any significant amount of time. And I think the biggest advantage is I just I exist in it. You know, I just like, I live life in the heat. I just know my body's used to it. Um, and I know what I can eat and drink. Um, so it was, it was definitely an advantage for sure. Yeah. I think, um, you know, it's also like train high, you know, a lot of times people that are at altitude and doing work at altitude, they're not doing their speed work or their harder stuff. Now the NAS Elite group is, but a lot of other groups will just do their core runs, excuse me, their longer training runs, their longer rides just to do aerobic strength work and build fitness and adapt, you know, to the climate. And obviously you need more, you know, more fluids. It's way easier to get dehydrated, you know, when you're training at altitude. But um, speed work, a lot of times, or racing, it may not show at all, like what your track workouts are like, or hard brick workouts are like when you're at altitude. And then all of a sudden, you get out of that environment, 
and you get to, uh, you know, sea level or maybe lower than where you're at, you know, lower elevation. And all of a sudden it's like, whoa, I feel stronger. You know, I, I call it the October surprise. Um, so I spend my summer's altitude Flagstaff at 7K and I nearly go to Phoenix where it's 118 in August. And I honestly don't know what I can run until October when like it's I'm at, I'm at normal elevation and it cools off. I'm like, oh, that's that's what I can run because you don't you just you can't. The, the paces are so off. You uh, I, it's the October surprise after training all summer. I like that. I like that. And you're you're doing so many different things with your body. You're throwing so many different uh, things for your body to adapt to. Um, in terms of conditions and oxygen levels and elevation and just all of it, uh, all of it leading to positive change. And, you know, as long as you're aware of what you need to be doing, and I think one of the biggest mistakes people make is they get excited, they're going to go do a block and they're going to go to Boulder, they're going to go somewhere. They think they're going to run paces that they run at home or they came there in shape and they're like, well, I'm rolling out my 20 milers at like 650 pace. So here's what I'm going to do here. And it's like, uh, yeah, that's not going to happen at all you are going to be pulverized if you try to run that in like mags and boulder at 8,800 feet. And you're exactly. And you're pulverized for days afterwards. I mean, that's the thing is you dig yourself in. And I even, this is my fourth summer up here. I dug myself into whole training. Um, nutrition was spot on. It was my daily intake. I just didn't increase it enough. You know, and I know, I know what to do. And even then I was out on a hot ride. I was like, Oh, man. <laughs> um, cause you just don't know. And so you dig yourself into a hole. You can't just come out of it at, at 8,800 feet or seven K or if it's 118, you can't just like recover, you know, and snap back in it. Your days are laid out afterwards. Correct. Any and all those things, great, great points to bring up. And, and for sure, we'll be getting into those talking about CDA. If maybe we'll just call it CDA to shorten it, um, you know, for Coralade. Right, you know, I've been seeing people do CDA, I am. I mean, that's a good one. I like, I like abbreviations and acronyms. I'm a big fan of them. But yeah, I mean, it's so, there's so much to the sport of triathlon. There's so much to the sport of ultra marathon and marathon. Those are the three main groups of people. And ultra and marathon are really similar. It's just, you're running a lot more on trail and more technical stuff in the ultra community. And of course, ultra distances have just gone completely bonkers. I mean, you know, it used to be a hundred miler was the ultimate distance. And now, you know, they had the Coca Dona 250, which was out by you. And there's other ones that are talking about going further. And I'm just like, okay, how about if I can just do a hundred right. first, you know, I mean, I got my, I didn't technically, you technically do a hundred and K on that ribs run. I did 60, but it was a little more than 60. Cause I'm always crazy with my watch. I was like, what if this links to Strava since I ran 59 point something. So I was like, I think I ran like 60.2. <laughs> I think I threw like two extra tents in just so Strava wouldn't like mess with me. Cause like, we all know what happened. If something like that happened, you'd just be like, okay, I got to go back out and run another 10th of a mile or something. Right. <laughs> I did um I did a 24 hour run where I ran every a mile every hour on the hour for 24 hours and I missed one by like 0.8 and you had to start it on the hour so I had to run back out and run super super fast to get the 0.2 in you know because I came back and fall strap I was like no <laughs> then, love um, it yeah no I feel like because then you, then you didn't technically do it right yeah Strava I mean, is the you know the standard it's the arbiter and we're ruled by it. And here's the crazy thing, whether I, you know, I'm a very tightly connected to Coros, the brand, the watch, and do a lot of work with them and test stuff, et cetera. And, you know, other people out there love Garmin or Polar. I mean, they're kind of the, the huge three in the sport. And, you know, Coros has made a huge push in the ultra community recently. Um, but for the most part, they all have their own mileages that they're picking up. It's not Strava, but yet we literally 
depend and go off Strava. You know, it's like I've seen people. In everybody can see it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like a virtual run. You know, your your Polar or your Garvet or your Coro says you ran 26.3, but Strava said 26.1. You'll be like, oh, man. You know, it didn't, it didn't work. <laughs> or the other thing is people say, oh, the course was short. Um, no, the Chicago marathon course is not short. Right. There are huge <laughs> buildings around and GPS is not hundred percent accurate. Newsflash people get a grip. Like people are like, right. they just think GPS is hundred percent accurate. Like, no, <laughs> not hundred percent accurate. <laughs> yeah. And you live in the desert too, man. So if you're running like Utah or other States out there, man, forget about it, man. It can be like haywire can just go like completely off the grid. So uh, yeah, good stuff. But tell everybody, I know, um, you know, I always like to hear from people growing, you know, when they grew up, you know, what their situation was like, you know, were you involved with sports? What was family life like? Brothers, sisters, you know, just a little ba basic background. Um, okay. So I grew up in Phoenix and we, um, we actually grew up, if you know, Phoenixville off of these amazing trails off of trailer 100. Um, and so I never did sports ever. I did like maybe a little bit of softball. Um, and I did like karate, um, and like dabbled in those things, but I have really horrible hand-eye coordination. And so it eliminates like most sports. And then I'm also not very fast. And so that's like the rest of the sports are now eliminated for kids. Um, and I don't really like to do things I'm not good at. <laughs> so I never really did sports. Um, I always, though, I always ran trails. I always hiked. I always like, you know, stayed active, but never in like a sporting, you know, type way. Um, and I'm an only child. And so I grew up, uh, you know, it's kind of cool. We live in the middle of the Phoenix, but I grew up like making forts out in like the desert and the washes. And we didn't have, we didn't have cable until I was like 15 because I like, wouldn't bring it to the mountain. Um, and so we had come up and made a horse, it was a big horse community. We didn't have horses, but most of my friends did. So lots of like horseback riding in the desert, playing out there, um, playing, you know, playing with friends, went to a public school, really close to my parents. Um, you know, we did like our family vacation every year was going in a car. I was crazy. I would never do this with my six-year-old, but we would drive across country to go see family in like Wisconsin, Indiana, Kentucky, and then drive back. Like that was our like super fun family vacation. Um, so I've seen lots of the U S by car, um, and listening to like share tapes, I think was our main source of entertainment. Uh, and random like radio. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, so that was, that's my, um, kind of life growing up. Um, I did lots of activities at school. I did yearbook and student council and I was in theater and I was really active, um, and engaged in that way, but never sports. And I, always thought that I was an athlete. Like that was like a strong belief I had is like, I'm totally an athlete, even though everything like laid out before me quite clearly indicates that I'm a terrible athlete, you know, like obviously, um, I even had a gym teacher once tell me I was just too feminine to run fast as if like somehow that's a, like, <laughs> that's a thing. Um, so I, I kind of always had this and it, it's, you know, hilarious that I, I had this like belief in me. Um, and it wasn't until like, later on in life where I actually got to like figure out that I was actually an athlete. Um, I always said that curling was my sport. I just never tried it. That's why I didn't know. <laughs> so there had to be, there's a sport out there for me somewhere. I just hadn't found it yet is um, kind of the, what I operate off of, which was true. It actually is totally true. I love it. I love it. And you know, it's so many of us find, um, a sport we really like or connect with or activities, you know, music, performing, arts, band, whatever those other outside things are that are outside of the athletic windows, or maybe you're just a pure academic kid and you just love studying and being smart and, you know, really want to pursue education and, and, you know, intellect, et cetera. But it's fun. It's, uh, it's super fun. My son's an only child. Uh, I was a middle 
child, one of three of three boys beating the living hell out of each other with my mom trying to keep us under control, which, you know, this tiny little Irish woman trying to keep us from, you know, destroying each other and our house in the process. Right. But I mean, I wouldn't trade our childhood. Um, I think it's awesome. You were, so you were out on the trails and even though you weren't playing sports, you know, you're out there, you're active, you're outside. Uh, it's great. And uh, super technical trails. Like I, I, so I do a lot of trail running as a part of my training. I love trails and there's an ultra run in my future. That's where I'm headed. I just, I'm not there yet. Um, but as I learned, like I'm, I'm a, you know, like I quickly took to it and I have run those trails since then. Like these are really hard trails. Like I grew up running some of the hardest trails I've ever run. Um, and so it's kind of funny that as a kid, I just, you know, was, it certainly helped me later on at least staying active, even though I wasn't in sports. Um, and endurance was always there. I, in college, I, I never was on the swim team, but I would swim three miles every Saturday, which is like, I, which is crazy. That's, you know, just in context, I mean, that's, that's a lot. I, I rarely swim that much in training for an Ironman. An Ironman is a 2.4 mile swim and I'm running, I'm swimming like three miles, completely untrained. My form's terrible, but I'm just like in it. And, um, and then if running, I've always been enough shape where when I used to travel for work, I would just throw in my running shoes and I would not run for a month and then go to Boston and go run 12 miles, just get lost in the city. And so I've always really loved it and loved just the long, like long events. I just never understood that that was actually like a sport. I didn't know that was like a thing that I could do. Um, I just thought it was like therapy, you know, for me. So you had the, the, the big aerobic engine early, just didn't know how to direct it or how it was going to play out because yeah, um, I, did, I didn't it, know it was useful. Yeah. Or what, it, you know, where it was going to take you, uh, where it could potentially take you. But, you know, I've got many friends who do triathlon or have done some or put their toe in the water, quote unquote, to, uh, try to make a pun. Um, and many who never, ever do it. So, um, for what Jennifer's talking about swimming three miles, like in the Ironman, it's a 2.4 mile swim. So right off the bat <laughs> that should give you an idea of just how fucking far three mile swim is. Okay. That's basically <laughs> like, yeah, that's like a runner <laughs> just saying, okay, well, I'm going to run like 32 miles instead of running 26 miles for the marathon to train. And I'm, I'm a fan of overtraining and I've done over distance stuff in my life. Um, and sometimes I do over distance on time. If I know I'm going to run a 250 marathon or a 240 marathon when I was doing that back in my mid thirties, you know, I'd say to myself, I'm going to do a three hour and 30 minute run. I want to run one hour longer than my race is going to take. And I'm going to work on my fueling and I just want to be out there longer. And I'm going to run at the hottest point of the day intentionally because I don't have Phoenix temps by me. Although it gets, it gets pretty hot in NYC. I mean, we're, you know, we're over a hundred real fuel temps the last couple of days and week, and it's not a hundred air temp, but you know, it, it, bottom line is if it's 103, 104 real feel, you're just like, I can't breathe. Where's the air? You know, it's like so heavy, but a three hour swim is like bonkersville, but it's totally awesome. Um, so right off the bat, I don't care what your form is like. I don't care if you're swimming with one arm only and the other <laughs> arm is just dragging, you know, half-assed. It's awesome. So you you got a huge engine and you hadn't figured it out yet and you d did some longer trail runs. And you say you don't have good eye-hand coordination, but if you're running technical trails, you have to have good coordination because there's no way it's, you'll it's be the, on your ass yeah. every five minutes. You'll have broken <laughs> bones and elbows and knees. And, and look, that's part of it, man. That's just part of trail running anyway. And to me, that's an allure. If I come back from a an ultra and I'm bloodied up. I'm, I'm like excited about it. As long as I'm not anything broken, I'm like, cool. I got some war wounds out of this deal. I finished my 50 miler. It's all good. But if you're like, uh Oh, did I break something? You know, then we, then we have to be a little more concerned. Right. Right. 
That's true. It totally is. I think it, it's more the um, if a ball flies on my face and no earthly way am I going to catch it like I'm going to scream and duck my head like we were at a baseball game with my daughter and like one of the balls came towards and I didn't even think of protecting her I just like ducked my head and she's like trying to catch it you know <laughs> like <laughs> and just it's not it, it's not there but trail running and I used to be a pretty good um pretty decent at yoga too so if I'm focused on something I I got it but don't throw anything at me all right, so we're not we're not playing catch with you, but no. we're we're right off the <laughs> no. bat. We know your daughter is ready to rock because if she's trying to catch a ball at a ball game, she's got the she's ready to roll. You know, get her a glove. Let's get Innocence her. Innocence is bliss, I think. Yeah, probably, <laughs> but still, I mean, it's it's all about you know instincts, right? I mean, that's it. I mean, it's like you you're talking about swimming, man. There's cultures that throw kids in the water when they're literally just born, literally out of the womb. And they're like throwing them in the pool and like seeing that these kids won't drown. And it's pretty amazing. Like, I don't know if I would have enough courage to do that with my son, you know, when he's like an infant, just like chuck him in the water. But I've seen it done. I mean, I've seen like YouTube stuff and I'm like, okay, this isn't for me, but you know, who knows? I mean, there's always, there's always more than one way to think about how we approach stuff, right? Mm-hmm, exactly. All right. So that's uh, so no real high school sports. What about co- when you go off to college? Are you getting involved with, you know, sports? Yo- is it just yoga at that point? Or are you, are you taking on any other things where you're working on your fitness at all? Or you're just doing the college thing and join school and all that? I mean, I'm totally, I'm always on my fitness. I've never not been like into fitness. Um, you know, so I, that's, I was college doing the three mile swims. I would do, I think I was running probably six to eight miles every other day, just like, you know, no real goals, just like I'm going to run the same kind of route that I typically do. Um, and then I did, I did hot yoga. So those were the main things that kind of, and weights and like other general things. And, and actually it was the first time I've ever really heard of a triathlon is my college had, um, you would have a month to complete the entire distance of an Ironman. You could do it in teams or you could do it yourself. And so I was part of a team. I did unshockingly the swimming leg of it. And then another year I did it by myself and I, I completed the, the funny part is I did it. I did all of it in a month versus like all of it in a day, but it was, that was kind of the first time I'd ever really heard of it. You know, was that, but that was just like an, you know, a, a, you know, thing to do with part of the gym that they had at school. Cool. I think um, that's great exposure. It's a great way to get somebody involved in the sport um, that isn't, you know, prepared for it or fit for it. But if you can break it up, I think that's one of the cooler things about Strava with like Strava challenges, you know, you see Tour de France, um, companies, bike sponsor companies, Roca, you know, from triathlon and sunglasses and apparel. Um, you just see all these great, you know, challenges that are put forth, you know, to complete X distance and do this and do that. And I think it's a great way to get people off the couch and say, Hey, I could never run a marathon, but I could run 26.2 miles over the whole month. And if I do this, I'm going to get some sort of a badge for it. And you know what? Everybody loves medals and they're super cool, but sometimes like a digital badge or other stuff is cool too. Like I love my Strava badges, man. I'm down with it, man. I need, I'm a little pissed off. They don't have like ultra badges for Strava or hundred mile bike ride Strava badges. And they need cooler stuff like that. Like, what are we doing over here? We got to get that like adjusted. Well, and like, and the purpose matters. I mean, you know, you can go on run, you know, 30 minutes to, you know, be fit, or if there's a purpose behind it and it adds to something, there's a goal, it makes a huge difference um, in your motivation and your focus. I mean, you know, I've always stayed in shape and fitness to like look good. 
but that's totally different mentality than like, I'm going to purposely use my body in a way to be faster, to be stronger. Like those are two separate ways and the intensity is different. And I think the mental outcome is totally different too. And so having just that little extra, like, why are you doing this makes a huge difference. Um, and it's way more successful. Yeah. I mean, we get into the why a lot on this show. Uh, and it doesn't matter if somebody's a triathlete, an ultra runner, a marathoner, or maybe they're a short distance track and field person. I mean, I've had every type of athlete on the sport. Some are milers, some are 800 meter runners. I mean, everyone has something that they're chasing. Um, and some of us are out there for crazy long periods of time chasing something. Uh, and sometimes we're chasing things for years and we're actually never going to catch whatever it is we're chasing. Um, and sometimes it's a feeling and sometimes it's an emotion or, you know, my, my mantra is behind me on the wall over there, stay in the fight. If you can read backwards over there. And I've got a, a running friend who I've gotten to know through like Facebook groups and Strava that I never actually met in purpose, uh, in person, in purpose. That's a good one. <laughs> I've met him in person, not in real life IRL. And, um, he just thought it was so cool that I was doing all this stuff as a master's runner and, you know, still maintaining super fit level and running fast times. And so he made that sign for me in like his wood shop. Um, oh, and wow. treated it, treated it with the Boston color. So yeah, I mean, it's like the hashtag on my podcast and it's on all like my clothing stuff. I'm getting hoodies and hats and stuff and coffee mugs and stuff made for the show to give out to guests. So at some point you will be getting something <laughs> you'll choose it. Do you want a coffee mug, a hoodie or a singlet or something? But yeah, stay in the fight for me. It isn't just in a race. It isn't just if I'm out, you know, struggling in a race, it's life, you know, like when I'm in a tough spot, you know, it's what I think about, like, man, you know, you're on the ropes. Okay. You know, you can just stay on your feet. You could stay in the situation, you know, you can make it till, till the round dings. And I've never been a fighter, never been a boxer. You said you did some karate, which also is surprising considering you're saying your eye-hand coordination isn't good. I don't know if karate is the best choice if you're going in there and you're saying your eye-hand coordination isn't good. You're supposed to block up here and it's like, oops, I just got clocked. I mean... I wasn't very good, yeah. <laughs> but I tried. <laughs> I love it. But you made the effort though. It's totally awesome. I made the but, effort. <laughs> yeah. But when you said that to me, it was in my head. I was just thinking like a scene out of Karate Kid, like, boom, you know, Jennifer just got <laughs> clocked, you know, because she couldn't get the hand up or whatever. You know, remember Mr. Miyagi with like wax on, wax off, and he's teaching right. him how to block and everything. <laughs> but yeah, fun fact, Elizabeth Shue went to high school with me. So, um, you know, with oh, Ralph Bucko, yeah, yeah, she was yeah. the manager of my baseball team. And uh, unfortunately <laughs> for me, she was like two years younger than me and she had a crush on me. And I was just like, yeah, I don't think so. You know, you're like two years <laughs> younger than me, you have braces and, you know, you're kind of cute, but you're too young and yeah she becomes a big Hollywood star and I blew yeah, it. But out. Yeah, we've all blown <laughs> a few like that somewhere along the way. Yeah, but good stuff. But karate is great. I mean, for anybody, for discipline, for routine, for breathing, for strength, for just so many, for so many other things besides like maybe self-defense, if somebody were taking it for that. And believe me, every woman out there, man, you got to be aware of taking care of yourself, particularly if you're running trails a lot or anything. I mean, unfortunately, these are things men don't have to worry about. I'm not to say a man is never going to get attacked because sure, a, a guy could get attacked, but trust me, it's not going to happen very often. Um, men are out there looking to attack women, let's say in, in a remote place on a run, and it totally sucks. But in your case, hopefully you still got your karate moves so you can take care of yourself. 
I got and I got mace too. So I'm uh, I'm prepared. Yeah. I mean, no, and I I um yeah, I think there's a lot to say. I think there's a, a lot of situational awareness that women just have just have innately and have to have just because you're a woman. You have to just know your surroundings and I'm pretty sure most men like don't know who's by them in the grocery store parking lot when they put their groceries in the store. I bet you most women do. You know, it's just something that you have to you have to be on the guard for. So and I'm by myself. I mean, I ride by myself. I do everything pretty much alone. I train virtually solo the whole time. And so I'm always as prepared as I can be uh, with Mace and, you know, always pretty fast on a bike. And <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. And I also I did a Krav Maga actually later on in my 20s. So that's actually real. That's real defense there. Karate is karate, but Krav Maga is like, here's what you do if somebody attacks you with a knife. So hopefully those skills are still somewhere inside of me. Yeah. Hopefully I never have to know, actually. Yeah, I agree. I hope not. Um, and I hope for everybody out there, it's not something that ever happens to them, you know, and, and, uh, you know, cause I'm a, I never was a fan of training alone. I mean, I'm the ultimate social extrovert runner, group person, organizer, um, for long runs, long rides, whatever. I just love company, man. I love people being out there and maybe not on a heart. It's odd because sometimes my hardest stuff, I want to be alone because I want to hurt alone and I want to push down alone. I don't want help. And in a race, I'll take all the help I can get. If you roll up on me at 20 miles in Boston and I'm in, I'm in the pain cave and I'm suffering, I'm like, okay, I'm going to hang with this chick. She just came up on me for a reason. I gotta, I've got to hold on to her. Okay. Or I got to make my way back to the guy in the orange shorts in front of me. I got to, that's my, that's my target. I just got to get to this guy. I got to move forward to that spot. That's, that's where the race begins and ends. Like it's that short term of thinking, like, no, it's not about, I have six more miles to go. Or in your case, you're 80 miles into a 112 mile bike ride and then you have a full marathon to run. So yeah, you gotta be like, you just don't think you, you can't think about it that way. Yeah. Yeah. You're not, you, if you do that, you're done automatically. If that's what your mind is, count yourself out. It's going to be a long day. Yeah. And trust me, it's going to be a really long day with, with the kind of temps you were rolling in out at, uh, out of Coeur d'Alene. Yeah, it was a long day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So let's go. Um, so you have the swimming and, you know, maybe the stroke isn't great yet, but you, man, you got the endurance. So you have that going and you were also doing some other strength training, right? You were doing some other like weightlifting and some strength stuff as well, right? Yeah. So in my, in my, um, late twenties, like there was, I got into CrossFit. It was like that. It was like the big, like that's when CrossFit like blew up. And my friends, you know, my friend was like, you're pretty intense. You work out a lot. Like you should really try this thing. And I like instantly loved it. And then I had, it was like, people, there's this community. I really love CrossFit. Um, and a part of CrossFit is a lot of Olympic lifting. So then I started doing Olympic lifting, like separately They're at the same gym, but like I would, you know, put them together and, um, I was really good at like the scaled stuff, um, because I have a really big engine, um, and anything that requires like any, any wad workout of the day was over eight minutes. Like that was my, that was me. Like I can like lift a lightweight forever, <laughs> like, you know, um, and, and so I did that. And that was the first place that, you know, somebody actually like referred to me as an athlete and I was like, Oh, am I, am I one now? I didn't know this. Um, and I love CrossFit. I learned a lot and I, you know, as because I wasn't involved in sports, my idea of weightlifting was like what you read in Cosmo, like, you know, lift lightweight lots. I never really lifted heavy before. I didn't know the form. Like it's these things that when people wonder why only 30% of women are involved in triathlons, it's because a lot of women, like, unless you were really involved in sports, you actually didn't have the gym class that taught you the proper form of how to lift and, and what you should do and how to move your body. Like it, it, you missed out on all of that. And so it was like a crash course in how do you actually gain fitness? Um, you know, in this case with weights or using your anaerobic capacity, um, but I never knew before. And it was really fun to and engaging to learn all of that and then put it together. 
but I wasn't very good. I mean, I was great in the scale pieces, but like, I'm not, I'm tall, I'm lean. I don't put a lot of muscle. Like I'm just never going to be able to like throw, you know, 200 pounds over my head. It's just not a, I'm not built for it. Yeah. But it's a great introduction. Um, secretly, you always wanted to believe you were an athlete, even though you had some person telling you you weren't, you were too feminine to run fast, which literally might be the most absurd thing that anybody has ever said. And particularly in today's environment, that guy would be fired in like one no, second from the start. Oh, oh my it. God. It's, it's even <laughs> more insane. It's even more it's insane. Even more, it's yeah. even more insane. It's a totally, yeah. hundred times more insane. Like, but this is you know, these are things people have said along the way. And it isn't just the great things. It isn't just the positive things that we hear that makes Jennifer say, wow, you know, my art teacher told me this. Like, it can be a bizarre statement like that to be like, fuck off, man. I'm too feminine to run fast. What are you talking about? Like, maybe you don't say that. but I mean, the- it, cl- it clearly had an impact. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, so you, you remembered it all those years later. And, you know, now, you know, somebody calls you actually an athlete and you're actually thinking I'm an athlete. Like, this is you know, you could see like a change or a transformation. And the feeling you get about yourself is now I'm part of something else, something that's bigger. And that's why I constantly try to convince people to get off the couch on my show for anything. You don't have to run a marathon to be a runner. You could run a 5K. You could run a local, like run, run, run in a park, like a Tuesday night 5K thing. And you could walk the whole thing if you want when you're first starting because the first step, the first beginning of the journey is to just to get off the couch, to put some shoes on, to put some gym gear on, to go to a CrossFit class, to go swim in the pool, but to just say, I'm going to I'm gonna try this. <laughs> I don't care what anyone else thinks. I don't care about any of my stupid ass friends' opinions or anybody else. I'm going to just give this a try and see how it makes me feel. Okay. And I guarantee you, if more people are willing to just say, okay, this actually is hard. My muscles are so sore. I'm completely crushed. But I guarantee you that every positive endorphin on earth is going to flood your brain and say, come on back. Let's do this again. Maybe we'll take one day's rest. Let's do this on Wednesday. But let's not wait more than Wednesday because I want to have that feeling again. I want to have that sensation again. So was that part of your first experience along those lines, not having played team sports and all, like what your experience was like there. Yeah, it was. And also CrossFit is a very supportive community and everybody's like, you're just in. So like people are cheering for you. They're helping you get better. Like all of a sudden, like people who I didn't really know who became dear friends, like cared about the fact that I could like snatch a hundred pounds. Like they actually cared and they like were helping me and coaches were helping you. So it was this really like amazing community. And it was hard and you're suffering. Like you are suffering in CrossFit. Like it's a different level of suffering than like triathlon, right? It's that really high anaerobic, like maxed out red line. And, and that is something I had an experience before. So it's just that suffering with other people and that connection, like a really, like we had bonded, we had a really tight community for a long time through CrossFit and weightlifting. Um, and we would go to meets together. We do events together and it, all of us were just in it for each other's success. And that was a really, it's, I mean, again, not having sports, I never really experienced that. It was a really powerful experience of like what sport could do um, in your connections with other humans. And that was, it was addicting. Like CrossFit is addicting for a lot of reasons. One of them is the endorphin lease. One of them is the 
highly technical skills. And when you get one, finally, it's very exciting, like a muscle up or a handstand push up or whatever it might be. And then the third is just the community is kind of intoxicating. Like you just want to be around these other like super, super, I mean, it's usually pretty super intense, very driven like people. And you're probably similar to that, that are kind of just really fun to be around. The energy is fantastic. Yeah. Well, part of it is it's community period. That's really it. Um, and people say the running community, it's community. You can just erase the first word because it's exactly. community yeah. because it doesn't yeah. matter what goes in front of it. It's community. It's being made yeah. to feel welcome. Um, it's a feeling of inclusiveness. It's a feeling of people watching Jennifer do this, the reps a certain way and saying, you know, Hey, you know, try it this way or do it that way. Or you did a hundred like great job. Um, you know, I think that's why Strava rocks so much because of kudos and people being able to see what you do. If you trust them enough and you share and you're friends with them on Strava and they see your workouts, like, you know, there's very few things that are cooler. Sure. There's Instagram and we're, we're all there and there's Facebook and we're all there. But to me, like Strava is like a very sacred place. Like that's a pure place. Like it's there. Your data is there, man. Your miles are there. Your elevations there. You can't, you, can, yeah. you can't lie on Strava. Like it's nope. all there. <laughs> yeah. And if it didn't happen on Strava, it didn't happen. That's the facts. Yep. I mean, we all know yep. that. So if it didn't happen on Strava, no one wants to hear about your watch didn't sync or anything else. Like, sorry. Right. Can't help you. Sorry, Jennifer, you really didn't ride 100 miles on your bike. It was not a century ride because it didn't sink and didn't show up. So sorry, you're going to have to do it tomorrow, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah, but that's it. But that feeling of inclusion and um, being part of something bigger than yourself is definitely, it's awesome. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, yeah, it's it's hard. Um after you have that, it's hard, you know, you don't want to not have that. It's, you know, and that's a great thing too, when getting involved with sports, like if you get involved that little 5k and you find a community, you're so much more likely to keep going because the community will keep bringing you back and you don't want that missing anymore in your life once you find it. Well, that's it. Um, that's the gold right there. And that's what I tell people. The moment you make that one running friend, one, one becomes two two becomes four. It just multiplies. And even if you like, like we're talking about the really hard stuff, training, and I saw you nodding your head when I was talking about it. Yeah, maybe you really do want to crush the really hard long ride alone where you want to ride a certain amount at threshold or at, at race pace. Or for me, how many miles of my 22 mile long run, how many am I doing at marathon pace or faster? A lot of times I'll even throw some half marathon pace miles in there in the middle of the run. And then leave my marathon pace stuff for late when I'm really tired, when I'm really worn down and just say, okay, it's time to rally. This is the way a marathon feels. A marathon doesn't feel like I'm fresh. <laughs> you ran 26 miles. And in your case with Ironman, you're doing it after a 112 mile bike ride. And of course it is different than racing a marathon on its own or just, you know, riding a hundred mile ride or whatever, when you're piecing these things together and all of it is different, but, but man, it's uh, either way, the community you know, that those first connections lead to more. And that's how we build, you know, really strong systems to help us when we fall, when we're injured, when we're in a rut, um, when our training stalls. And all of a sudden we're just like not feeling like showing up to go, you know, to work out together. You know, I'm not going to go do a heavy lift with somebody or I'm not going to do this long ride or whatever. But if you make enough of those connections and maybe you're, maybe you train with a tri club, maybe you don't, maybe you swim with a master swim group or a regular swim group, like all of these things have the ability to kind of pull us out of the hole. If we get into a hole or we get stuck, 
Um, outside of obviously being coached, and I know you also coach and you have a coach. Yes, so those are two, mm -hmm. two very, very different things, which we'll spend um, time on as well. But whether you are a coach yourself and you're coaching others, you may know all the best advice in the world. Trust me, I've coached people. So I know all the best advice to tell you, <laughs> Jennifer, and all the people I'm coaching. You need this day off, Jennifer. Just listen to me. Give your body this one day. You're going to come back so much stronger. Would Ron take the day off in the same situation? Yeah. Right. No, <laughs> right. no, no, no. Like 99 times out of 100, no. Sometimes yes, but almost yeah. never no. So um, yeah, but those dynamics of getting them into that community, like that's everything. So we need to bring more people in and we got to get more people active because if COVID has taught me anything at 60 is that there are just too many damn lazy people around. There's just too many people who are living in insanely sedentary lives and literally not doing anything. And if I can at 60 and I've got friends who are much older than me crushing it, running crazy fast times, like there's no, you can't use age as an excuse, can't use anything as an excuse. I don't care how overweight you are. Everybody can get overweight. Everybody can get unfit. Everybody can feel like, I don't like this person in the mirror. I don't like this person. That's why I love Goggins so much because you know what? You can't bullshit yourself. You might be able to bullshit a lot of other people in this world. But if you can't come to grips with that person in the mirror every single day, you're not going to be the best version of yourself. You got to be able to be honest with yourself and say, man, I look like shit right now. Okay. And that is the truth. Not because of the scale. I know what my face looks like when I'm really healthy. I know what my body looks like. I know what my muscles look like. I know how my clothes fit. I know how all of those things factor into how I feel about myself outside of how fast I can run a race, okay? And how, you know, how fit I am based on how much mileage I can throw down um, on Strava because we're paying attention, right? <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's like all of this is part, it's all part of the equation, right? It is. And, you know, anything you do to your, it's not like your mind and body are separate. I think it's a lot of times it's easy to think that way between them. Um, but that's what sports does. It really helps you connect and even stay within your body. And if you're unsatisfied and unhealthy physically, like mentally too, like it's not, that's not, that's also being impacted. And as you start to change your body, you can also start to change your mind. And they're really, I mean, I, I learned that a lot, especially in, in endurance sports. Um, I think endurance sports are particularly useful for transforming your, you know, your mind through your body. Um, but that's an important piece. And people are missing that too, by not being active, that, that connection and what they can do mentally and how much, what other level can they reach by reaching a different level physically? Yeah. And with your, with your coaching background, what I try to explain to people is how little amount of time it takes for habits to actually be reformed or completely formed anew. Um, it's amazing. And that's why gyms, can be successful, a good, a well-run gym can be successful because if you can actually show up twice, okay, and maybe that second time, like whatever you're going there for, I don't care if you're just going there because you don't have a treadmill in your apartment and you just want to get out of your apartment and you don't want to run outside, you don't want to, maybe you're a woman, you're worried about safety, maybe it's 100 in, in Phoenix or more, 120, like for whatever reasons are that you're going inside that place, if you can get past like going there twice maybe three times. And that's where the routine begins to be set. I'm going to go on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, or I'm going to go on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, or I'm going to take Jennifer's class. I'm going to take her spin class and I'm going to take a, a hot yoga class and I'm going to take a strength class, or I'm just going to go and lift my own weights. And I'm not going to talk to anybody. I don't want to, I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm not social. 
I don't care. That's fine. You can tell those people. But if they're showing up, that's where the process starts. And immediately, little by little, change starts to take place. And then the next thing you know, you'll start recruiting other people. You got to come to this gym with me. It's great. Or you got to come to these run workouts with me. I'm, I'm running with this team now. Or I'm swimming in, you know, I say master swimming. You know, I'm not saying you're in masters. I just know for me, master swimming is all athletes that swim in like college. You know, I swim in a master swim program. That's how I learned how to swim to get involved with triathlon. And and trust me, man, I can't swim like you, man. I'm, I'm terrible, man. Right. But I can still swim. I know how to swim. But uh, it was uh, it was a hell of an experience because like literally everybody in that group swam in high school and college. So that was tough for me because being bad at something, I'm okay with sucking at something and then just being like, okay, I'm going to show you people that I'm not going to be the worst anymore. I'm going to move up through the ranks. But it was just so hard because they were all so good at swimming. Uh, but I got, I got my revenge yeah. on the bike in the run though, because they weren't, right, that's great, I always, yeah, they weren't great on those two. Me. Yeah. So that yeah, was, yeah. that was my chance. So, um, but yeah, it's, um, yeah. you know, if you can just find the way to like make those, make those small changes. So in your case, you know, you're doing CrossFit, you're doing some swimming, you're doing some strength stuff. So we're getting very close to how you actually get involved with getting involved in triathlon. So how does it actually kind of come to be from there? Because I know we're close at this point. We're the, the time period we're talking about. Yeah, it's such a it's such a weird way to get in triathlons. Many triathletes come from either swim, bike, or running backgrounds, um, or sports or anything. Um, and I happened to come into triathlons because my coach, Marilyn Jacoda, was um was doing was weightlifting with me so she is a was a professional triathlete she's one ironman she's an um she's a triathlon coach she coaches many professionals and age groupers she's just she's really well known in the sport she's been in forever and she knows she knows what she's talking about and i knew that and i went to her and i was like hey like i i so when i i was pregnant um six years ago and i got back into swimming because it's the only place where I didn't feel like a giant, like whale. Um, and I couldn't run when I was pregnant, like starting four months in. And that was when I, you know, I, was, I, I, I crossfitted up the night before I had Azella, my daughter, I was crossfitting. I PR'd my rack jerk the night before I had her, which is like crazy. <laughs> um, but I got back into swimming and I was like, Hey, so I'm just getting into the water and I swim 60 minutes straight and I'm not getting any faster. And she's like, okay, like, what are your, what are your reps or intervals? Like, oh no, I, I literally get in the water and I just swim, which also like, I would never, I would kill her if she programmed me an hour straight swim without stopping. Like I would be so mad at her. And so she just gave me some swim workouts and her background is before she was a triathlete, she was a show jumper and she trained horses. And so she has this really like interesting way of looking at a person's, you know, just their physical being, like how are their muscles, how are their ligaments, what's their height, weight, lean, and they should, she would do this with, with horses and determine if they would be a good racehorse or if they'd be a good athlete. And so she looked at me and she would see me like in, in, you know, in strength lifting, you basically, you build up and you've got maybe two shots on a PR lift, like maybe two shots. I would take 10 attempts and I would get on the 11th. Like, she would see that and, you know, or I would run from my house, which is two and a half miles away. I'd run to CrossFit, do CrossFit, do lifting and run home, which is a horrible way to be a strength athlete. But like, and so I would tell her this and she's like, I really think you're in the wrong sport. Like looking at me, she could tell I'd probably be a decent cyclist. I already knew how to swim, which is a huge barrier to overcome for many people. Um, and I already enjoyed running. 
I wasn't particularly fast, but like I have the background, be able to run, you know, eight miles or 12 miles whenever I wanted to. And so she was like, I, I think like, I think you should give it a shot. I think this is your sport. Um, so I did my first sprint triathlon, which hurt like sprints are short. That was an hour and gosh, probably 15 minutes of like sheer pain. And I was like, this is amazing, but I like, this is not my distance. Like clearly I'm not built for this. Um, and I was kind of hooked and then she's been my coach ever since. So, um, I was just going through my computer and found old images I had. She just wrote out my program, like a piece of paper, like as we were lifting, she just kind of wrote out like on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, here's what you do. And just repeat this for like eight weeks. And then eventually I did a few races and then I moved from that to like, then she would email me stuff. And then eventually I moved to training peaks, which is what, you know, we use now. And so she just like really took me from somebody who hadn't run a bike outside in 15 years, um, rode spin bikes, kind of ran, kind of swam into a, you know, a triathlete through this process. And four years later, I'm going to Kona. So it's, uh, it's been, it's been fun. That is such an awesome story. Um, and an incredibly unique way in, um, also, as you said, um, to not really have been involved with any of those sports at all. You had been swimming, but you know, didn't have any idea what you were doing with your stroke. But still, to be able to swim an hour straight is a big deal. To be able to swim three miles is crazy. Like that is very unique, particularly for somebody who didn't come from a swimming background, somebody who wasn't in the pool a lot and working with a team and swimming laps over and over again. So so yeah, you had some rare ability there, you know, in terms of like the engine. Um, and it's super cool, her background with like horses and jumping and that I find really, really interesting. Uh, like looking at like somebody, you know, kind of from afar and uh, body type and muscles and build and, you know, just kind of making a judgment, you know, I, I would wonder, you know, like, I'd be like, oh no, she's going to say I'm out. Uh, you know, you, you, you fail, you know, do something else, you know, I'd you know like, and the other piece of it, the other piece was, it was a mental piece of it too. Right. Like it, cause she knew that like any crazy person that could swim and stare at a black line for an hour straight could probably ride a bike for 112 miles and not be bored. Like, I mean, that's the other piece of anybody who's okay like, you know, in a weightlifting room, people miss weights and they're screaming and they're like throwing things across the floor. Like it's a very like tension based sport. And I'm like, okay, I'll try it again. Didn't work. I'll try it again. Like maybe I'll try it this way. Like I clearly could stay calm and like continue to problem solve like what was actually happening and move on. And that, I think that was the combination of the two of them. She saw what I had never seen, which like, these are actually, these are actually sports specific skill sets that I had. Who knew? Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, yeah, because it is, it's kind of all or nothing, you know, when they're going to go for one specific thing or one exercise or one rep, uh, I can assure you, nobody's doing it 10 or 11 times. Like you talked about, that's not a normal thing at all. Maybe, maybe no, somebody <laughs> tried it a second or a third time. Um, and then they'd probably have to get themselves all jacked up again because it's like so much mental of, you know, just trying to get into that crazy aggressive state of where you are, um, which you also pointed out is like totally anaerobic. I mean, that sport is just could not be more different than endurance, you know, athletics like Ironman or marathons or ultra. So, um, but in some way it, it, it was really a great training ground for you. Um, you know, it, it brought you into a sport of inclusion and community and, and, you know, welcomed you, made you feel comfortable, made you feel like an athlete for the first time. And that, getting into triathlon, which is like hugely in that way. Although it can be really intimidating for people coming into the sport. 
because people's equipment and the gear they have is insanity. I mean, bike setups are just bananas and, you know, running is running. I mean, sure, there's 9 million pairs of expensive kinds of running shoes and racing flats from Vaporflies and every other technology with carbon plates on down, but they're running shoes. No one looks at a running shoe and goes, oh no, Jennifer has those running shoes. No, they look at them and go, oh, those are cool. I want those. Or they're in pink. I, I like those in orange. Like, cool. Nobody looks at a runner and their shoes and goes, Oh, I'm intimidated. But cycling with crazy bikes that are like 10, 20, 25, maybe even more thousand dollars, and maybe not the bike itself, but all in, you know, between wheels and setups and helmets and all of this stuff, it can be enough to just take even the most seriously confident person to go like, okay, this is like way out of my league. And then the most important thing I think you meant is with swimming. If you weren't a swimmer in high school or college, it is a huge struggle area for people coming into the sport. I just know, like, and not to even begin getting into the mental side of it, of like the, the panic, the phobia that happens, because it's not like anything else. When you ride a bike, for any of my friends who've never done a try yet, when you ride a bike, you know, people don't start pinballing off you and crashing into you <laughs> and elbowing you and then riding their you. bicycle yeah. right over the top of you, okay? And yeah. with running, no one literally intentionally starts bashing into you. I mean, maybe to go get a cup of Gatorade or a water bottle at an aid station, there's some contact and we might trip each other occasionally and there might be an elbow here or there, but it isn't eventful. It's not like track where you see, you know, them running the 1500 meters and they're in such a tight pack or the 5,000 or the 10,000, they're getting spiked. They're getting back spiked. They're, they're bleeding. I mean, they're elbowing each other. It's aggressive. It is confrontational even, let's say. But swimming, you do an open water swim and, you know, people are literally kicking you, hitting you in the head, swimming over the top of you, knocking your contact lenses out, your goggles, you name it. Oh, okay. My, my first Olympic try, my first open water swim, the sprint was in a pool. This is my first open water. And I got kicked in the stomach and I, I have never been scared of the water and I freaked out and I had a backstroke. Like the, it was three loops, one loop. And the second one, I was like, kind of okay. And by the, the third, I was finally swimming in the kayak. I was like, yay! And I was like, I know how to swim. I just got, I was, I got scared, terrified. The wind got knocked out of me. I couldn't get my breath. I had the wetsuit on. People were around you. It was intense. And then I had to like make it up on the bike and the run, which, which it ended up being great because I actually biked way harder than I thought I could have ran way faster than I thought was possible. So it was a great lesson. But scared me and I was surprised to be like scared by it but it's and you can't see your hand in the water it's it is it is a full contact sport um and people I mean the bike can be nobody's grabbing you and stuff but it can be very aggressive out there too I mean it's um cycling is a whole different kind of culture and in, in unto itself agreed um and yes there definitely can be contact in cycling and certainly in group rides or long rides it, you can be in a pack and things oh, can yeah. get damn dicey. And, you know, look, it's, it's something you just have to learn how to work with and you got to deal with those anxieties. And on race day, because of drafting and stuff, it's less likely to happen that you're going to be in super close quarters with people for long periods of time. So in that regard, you know, on race day, you're usually going to be pretty good. 
Um, the swim is, I think, where the biggest amount of anxiety come. And, and by having guests on that talk about it, it's very cathartic for me because I just thought this was something only I was going through because I never swam before. And like, I'd have trouble breathing in my wetsuit. And I'd just be like, get this thing off of me. And then even Ginny talked about one race. She just like swam over to a boat and just like took herself out of there. And she's a terrific swimmer in high school and college and has swam like amazing times in Ironman distance and qualified for world champs and stuff. So it can happen to anybody. Um, Absolutely. But yeah. So you can swim all those miles in the pool and swim all those miles in the, in the ocean or a river and a lake and then still have like an experience like that. Yeah. You got to see the buoys and sighting and it's, it's, yeah, I was, um, it's, yeah. And people get mean when you, when you touch, yeah, it's hard. And I, you know, I, I do swim. I'm a pretty decent swimmer. I tend, and then, you know, with triathlons tends to be mostly men, especially at the front group of the swim and man, you men are violent. Holy crap. Like all swim with all women and waves and like people are aggressive, but like, okay, but like you get out there with the dudes and it's like, I have never, I've got, I've been shoved down. I've been elbowed. I've, I mean, like somebody actually stopped swimming to like turn over and then like push me into the water and take like, that was like, that was seemed to be like the best move at the moment. Like, I don't know. I, I don't think I was drafting. I mean, whatever. Um, so yeah, it's intense. It's, uh, but now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I am expecting of it. I'm ready for it. I can get in there with it. I can throw an elbow if I need to, to keep my, you know, to keep the feet. So it's just, it's all part of the fun. <laughs> yeah. I'm definitely going to the, to the furthest back point that I can in any try when I get back out there and, you know, I'm, I'm staying the farthest damn distance I can away from contact, <laughs> even though it's unavoidable and we know it, I'm still going to, in my mind, that's what I'm going to tell myself. I'm avoiding contact. I don't care if I'm last out of the water. I don't give a crap what my time is. As long as I'm going to make a cutoff and as long as I can get on my bike and mount my bike in the transition area, life is going to be good because I know, you know, obviously things can go horribly wrong. I mean, we've seen Mark Allen have like 9 million flats and have bloody noses in the Ironman for years before he finally broke through and beat Dave Scott. So anybody, even the strongest cyclist can have a horrible amount of things go wrong and have their day end, not to mention obviously having a crash, which could end anybody's day in an injury. But I just feel like if I can get to the bike, I can do it. So that's the thing. When I get to the bike, I can do it because I don't care. You know, I know I can make a bike cut off. And with running, man, with the amount of marathons I've done and, and the strength I have from doing ultras and stuff, I feel like if I could run 60 miles on a stress fracture D, I could, I could run, walk it or okay, do whatever I got, <laughs> whatever I got to do. I just got to finish, man. Cause you know, to get to hear those words, you are an Ironman, pretty awesome. So when was your first, like, so you started working together how many years ago? So it was 20, actually almost be five. So we started um, late 2016. My, December 2016 was my first triathlon. Your first. And then I did my first. And then I did two Olympics and I did my first 70.3 2017. And the following year I did four 70.3s, which is half, so half Ironmans. And then um, 2019, I did my first Ironman at Santa Rosa. And then I, and I qualified for worlds that year, like Placid for the 70.3 distance. And then I died in Arizona for my second Ironman. So I did, I signed up for two Ironmans before ever doing one of them. Um, cause that's, you know, Iron, that's how it rolls. You got to sign up for races, especially like Arizona sells out really fast. Um, but I was pretty convinced after, you know, it's one of those things, like it is a crazy distance. Um, it's, you know, it's 140.6 miles, 2.4 mile swim, 112 bike and a marathon. And when you first start triathlons, I was like, I'm never going to do that. That's ridiculous. And then you do an Olympic 
and then a half. And then you were training this much. You're like, well, like the training's not like that much more. And, and then now you're in a community. It's normal to do Ironman. It's just like a normal thing that everybody's doing. And you kind of forget that like, this is a really crazy thing because it becomes normal. And so you were like, this is a great idea. And, you know, by then it was very apparent that like the longer the distance, the better I was. Um, and the more successful I was going to be. And so I was really, I had had some success in 9.3s. I was, you know, I was sixth, seventh, eighth. I was always kind of in the top 10. And considering I hadn't run a bike, um, you know, in like 15 years, like in my cycling was kind of taking off. It seemed like an Ironman might really fit me. And it was right. I'm, I'm, I'm much better in Ironman distance than I am at half distances. And apparently the heart of the course and the conditions, the better I do. Like, unfortunately, that's the kind of athlete I am. I need like a really hard, like hard, hard day. And that's where I shine. <laughs> so for better or for worse. I love it. I absolutely love it. But what I think is really interesting, and I think it's important, um, and obviously you have your own athletes that you're coaching too. Um, there are way too many people that are just trying to live their lives through everybody else. Okay. Jennifer's doing Ironman. She's super cool. Uh, I like following her on Instagram. I'm going to do Ironmans or Ron's doing all these ultras, man. His dude's cool. He raises all this money and runs. I'm just be like Ron. They're like, no, no. Um, yeah. Got to figure That's out, got to figure out your own path. You got to figure out your own plan. But way more importantly, I love the fact that maybe you didn't do that many Olympics, but there isn't that much. And anybody out there who hasn't done try yet, once you could do an Olympic, you can absolutely do a 70.3. I mean, it is just not that yeah, there's, big there's of a not leap. That much of a difference. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, it certainly can be way harder based on weather, based on course profile. If it's a ton of climbing, is it going to be over hundred degrees? All of those things could make a 70.3 really difficult. But if you can finish an Olympic, you sure as hell can finish a 70.3. But it's not like you did one 70.3 and then just started doing like 90 Ironmans. I like how you had a progression and it was over a couple of years. It wasn't all in like one year and you built up naturally. Exactly. And I know like, so there's the physical component, which I think athletes constantly focus on and they think that's all that matters. And they're just missing out on so much of the rest of the story because it's the mental component that is so much more important, not just in your mantras and how, what are you going to, what's, what's your self-talk going to be out there when the day gets hard or when the day's going well, what's your self-talk going to be like, there's fueling, which is literally the single most important thing when you're doing races of anything of over, say, like six hours or longer. If you don't nail your fueling, you don't stand a chance in hell at having a peak performance. You have zero chance. I don't care if you're David Goggins. I don't care if you're Elliot Kipchoge. I don't care who you are. You will not nail a great race. You might have a good race because you're damn tough and you might be gritty as hell and you might be able to grind like very few can, but your fueling is everything. But the mental side to go from 70.3 to 140.6, there's so much involved. It's right here between the ears. What do you need to learn about yourself first? How much longer? You're talking about staring at a lane line in a pool. Well, now you're sighting in open water with buoys. You're getting kicked. You're having all these things happen. Maybe you're having to swim three laps around a course to get out of the water, to get on your bicycle to get to the run. So there's just so much more about it. So for you personally, like what were you doing with your coach? Like first on the workout side, like how are you starting to adapt and make changes in your workouts physically? But what were you also doing like mentally to start to prepare yourself to take on this from the 70.3 to the 140.6 journey? 
I mean, it was, yeah, it was just kind of, and I'm, I'm fortunate. My coach, um, she lives in Tucson, but we're able to do lots of rides together. And so she was, you know, helpful. Actually, I remember, you know, we started, um, you know, the thing with endurance sports too, is that it's not just the effort you put in like that training block, like the 20 weeks before an Ironman. It's like, how many years of miles of endurance do you have? So that was one of the things with the progression is my coach, you know, she knew I was, I was a completely un like my athletic age is like two, right? Like I have very little like miles on my body. Um, and, and so she really wanted to start short and then gradually build. And we had done that. I mean, I think in her head, she always knew that Ironman was going to be my distance. And that year that we took all those four seventy point three, she was really building towards next year when I was going to do, when I was probably going to do an Ironman. And so, you know, we started at lots of frequency of four hour rides, you know, getting the run miles up and, and typically we don't, um, we override the distance and over swim, never overrun the run. You kind of hold back just a bit, um, for distance wise and sometimes not time wise, it kind of depends. So we were really building that. And then through that process, what you need personally to ride your bike for four hours, like you just, you know, again, I, I ride solo cause I have a daughter and I have to, the logistics of riding and training are difficult. So I'm almost always by myself. And like, and eventually like, I'm going to have to figure out like, what do I tell myself when it's 118 I'm out here for four hours. I got to figure it out. And then come race day, like you, you, nothing should be new on race day. Like maybe a few things are surprising or like, cause the day, what it holds, but like you should have felt almost everything until mile 20 in the marathon after mile 20 in the marathon, anything goes like that's, that's the unknown man. But up until that point, everything you've experienced, you should have already have experienced in training mentally and physically. Like you should have already have solved problems, already know what to tell yourself at that moment, already know what to eat. So like that, that's what it's for. Um, and the key is to build into that slowly, um, because you can't just automatically figure out those problems in one six hour ride before an Ironman. Like that takes months and years of getting accustomed to it. And she was great at bringing me along, progressing me slowly into that. Um, and I still knock on wood, haven't had any major injuries. Um, she's, we've done a great job of working together, um, and building that piece of it. And I've had really hard sessions, like I say we, I suffer. Like, you know, I think there's a lot of times where Ironman's like super boring. Um, and then that's part people forget how boring training can be. <laughs> um, and also like how hard hard is like, I've had lots of suffer fests out there, um, to be prepared for a race. Yeah, you have to. Um, that's why, um, it's a pain, we call it a pain cave at home. You know, when you create that environment and it's fabulous and that's why I got ribs up there and I have my signs because when I'm going to ride in the trainer, um, because these days, sometimes I'm just more comfortable riding inside than outside just because of safety and other things. Um, if I'm with a group, I'm not worried at all. I just, you know, I know that I'm so far away from my house. My son lives in Vermont. He's graduated college. Like no one knows where I am. Like literally no one knows where I am. I'm 60 miles from my house. I mean, if I crash or flat and end up in a ditch or have a broken collarbone, like if my phone, you know, ends up in the ditch and no, you know, who knows if somebody's going to find me. So, um, sometimes, you know, I just feel like, you know, and there's my, there's my beauty over there. I don't know if you have to move my mic a little. There's my, Oh, I can see part. There yeah. we go. Very nice. Yeah. She's actually, <laughs> she's actually named the Phoenix because, you know, we're reborn from the ashes of the Phoenix and it's yellow and orange, mostly orange. Oh, um, like so it. fiery colors and all that kind of good stuff. But, um, so that's the, the physical side of making changes in your training and doing over distance and all that, which is great. What about like mentally, you know, like psychologically, were you reading more stuff about how to tackle the longer distances? Was she talking to you more about it? Were you thinking more about it in addition to fueling? Cause again, fueling is literally, 
you cannot do a four-hour bike ride without proper fueling, okay? You are going to end up, you know, having somebody come and get you and fetch you and you'll, or you're going to be broken down two days afterwards and your body is just going to rebel and say, what have you done to me? <laughs> and why are you doing this to us? It is funny. The first time you're, the first time you bonk, like it's hard to know what's happening. And you're like, I just, my muscles aren't moving. Why aren't they, why aren't they moving? <laughs> so like, you need sugar. Oh, this is what a bonk is. Great. <laughs> oh, great. Um, yeah. I mean, I think mentally came with it. I think, you know, for me, so I, I was, um, a CEO of a nonprofit before I had my daughter, I stepped down to spend, to be with, to be a stay-at-home mom, which is something I never, ever thought I was going to do. It just, it worked. That's what worked for the family. And I really, um, in reflection, like I had really lost myself in that. And what I found through sport and triathlon was, was a space that was mine, but like, I, I found myself within that. And throughout the training, as the training got longer and I spent more time out there, the more time I spent in my head and the stronger I became, it was almost the two of them came together. And, you know, and then what happens is you have to face problems. And so you get a flat or you get an interval that's really hard, or you're with a group and you don't know if you hang onto a wheel and you just throw yourself in those moments. And that, in those moments, that's a mental fight more than it is a physical fight. And so the longer you train, the more of these moments you have where you test yourself, you see who you are. You see, are you the person that's going to like bury themselves to stay on this wheel or are you not? I'm one of those people that will. I didn't know I was that person though. Like I didn't know I was a person that would like fight through all that pain to stay on somebody's wheel. I didn't know I was a person that could, you know, could climb up crazy mountains and could descend. I love descending super fast, very frighteningly. <laughs> um, and, and I didn't know that until I knew it. And so all of these, the longer the train, the more experiences, the more you test yourself mentally. And that's just like, that's just bait. That's just like, now I know I'm that person. Now I know I can do that. Now I know this can happen. And you turn around and you have years of making yourself grittier, stronger, you know, more of who you are. And now 140 points or hundred, well, 140.6 miles is always scary. I'm always scared the night before a race. Like it just is, it's a long day, <laughs> but it doesn't seem impossible. You know that you can do it because of what you've been through before. Yeah. I mean, look each and every time that we go further in life, in anything, doesn't have to be athletics we're proving to ourselves um, something more that we didn't know we actually could do. So we're yeah. validating so many things. So many things. And I, what I like, uh, it's easier in a 70.3 course, but sometimes I have the ability to do an Ironman course. But, you know, you really see the people level up in these races. Like when you are pushing yourself to your mental and physical max, and you are finding, like you, you see people on the course and you see them reaching inside themselves to see if they have anything left. Like you're leveling up at that moment. Like people ask, like, why would people put Iron Man on their body? Why would you put a corporate brand on their body? I was like, because it's life-changing. Because people's lives change at mile 24 of that marathon. It is life-changing what you're able to do when you push yourself. Like you don't know what you find in yourself until you're there. You cannot replicate it in training. And there are parts of you, you might not like it or you might love it. You might show up, you might not. You don't know until you get there, but you always find out something about yourself that you would never have known unless you put yourself in that environment. And people just like, you see it, like they, people's lives change around you. They level up in those moments and it is unbelievably powerful to be a part of it. Um, and I, there's not a, a race, you know, like a hard, that there's no Ironman I've done where I haven't been changed afterwards. You just, it just happens. Um, and it's really powerful. Beautifully said. Well, it's transformational, um, but 
across our whole lives. Um, and that's why I started the show because it isn't just about how awesome athletes are and how kick-ass they are. It's more like about how damn kick-ass they are as moms, as CEOs. You were a CEO before you decided to become a stay, stay-at-home mom. You know, running a nonprofit, running any kind of corporation, just being a good husband, good wife, a business partner, a brother, a sister, a sibling, whatever roles we wear, whatever hats we're wearing in our lives, we have the opportunity to do them at our best and most, you know, the absolute nth level at a level that we never dreamed that we could possibly achieve when we learn and find out these things about ourselves because we are transforming and we're not just transforming when we go down the red carpet. We're not just transforming when we finish a hundred mile ultra or run a sub three hour marathon or qualify for our first Boston marathon. We're transforming like iteration by iteration. We're continuing to scale up. Um, and you know, there are sacrifices to be made, lots of them, lots of hours, um, lots of time, um, it puts strains on relationships, friendships, our jobs. It it pushes us in ways that people that aren't in that arena, that aren't competing to be involved in these really incredibly challenging sports um, that demand so much of us physically and mentally, they don't understand. So, but if you're willing to do it, to me, the reward is it's huge. Yeah. I- and the change isn't siloed into athletics, right? Like you made that change in your life and that's across the board. That's you as a person now is different, not just you as an athlete. And that is, it's also intoxicating. Like it is like, once you experience that, like it's, it's addicting, you want more of it. You know, like I want more Ironmans. I want as, I mean, as horrible as mile 21 is of that, into that, you know, that marathon in Ironman, I want more of that. Cause I want to see what more is there. Like I want to get to other pieces of me that I, that I can't find that I can't access. And I want to know that and bring that out and apply that to the rest of my life. I mean, it's that these sports are that powerful of, of what they can do to people and what they've done to me. They are. Um, but they're also have the ability to be that powerful for many other people. Um, by sharing it via a blog or a story or in a podcast episode like this, which is why I started the show. I'm sharing the wins, the losses, the pain, the gains, the happiness, the euphoria, like all of it, all those emotions and all the sacrifices that are made. Um, it has the ability to transform other people. And that's what makes it so powerful because somebody out there could be hearing like, wow, she could swim three miles and really didn't have a good stroke, but now she's doing this. And she dreamed of going to Kona and in only a a few years, she's actually made that dream actually come to life. Um, So yeah, it's, uh, it's super cool and it's very fulfilling. And, you know, I never lose sight of the fact that every person that comes on here and shares their story, it's going to inspire many, many people, not a few, many and then hopefully they're going to share it with their friends and then they're going to listen to your episode or maybe someone else's episode. Maybe it's an ultra runner that's really going to catch their attention. Uh, maybe it's a marathoner or, or maybe it, it is going to be another Ironman or maybe it's a sprint distance or a track and field runner. But the stories have the ability to move and motivate so many others. And uh, more importantly for me, I know my son's fully grown now. He's a man at 23 and someone I'm super, super proud of. But your daughter's like super young. And I just know um, his mom was a 253 marathoner. I coached her. She was an awesome runner. And I just remember, you know, when he was super young and I was coaching him in baseball and stuff. I mean, I reflected on that a lot. Like, you know, was my son going to be proud of me? Was he going to think I was a badass? Was he going to realize how awesome his mom was? Like what an amazing runner she was. And, you know, they have to 
figure and process that stuff out on their own. And your daughter is only six, but I'm pretty sure I remember from your post that she was like out there on the course and, you know, saw you she that, was out there. Yeah. 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 So that's like, you, you know, it's, it's important. It's, yeah, it's important for me and her to see it. Cause I, you know, I do, I spend time away for her to train. It's, it's, you know, Saturdays, before I remember that seven, eight hours on my bike, like just, it just is right. And so I, she knows, and she feels that I want her to know why I'm doing it. It was important to me, um, for her to know that I'm not just her mom, right? Like I also have passions and dreams and it's totally okay for me to experience that a lot of women and moms, I think it sucked. It's, it's harder. It's harder for women and moms to be able to do what they love to do and be okay with it. It's just society, culture, things that we're told. And I don't want her to have the same, same thing. And I want her to see that like my, she's my mom and she spends times away with me and that's okay. Cause she does what she loves, but she's still my mom and she's still here. And so for her to be in the race course and she knows how hard I train, she knows it's my dream. She knows what a big deal it is. And for her to see me do it is it's, it's really powerful. And it's been powerful for her. She went back to camp and I came into camp this girl comes up and she's like, are you a Zella's mom? And I go, yeah. She goes, are you going to the world championships? And I said, yes. And she kind of looked me over, like clearly very disappointed with like my appearance, like not all what she thought I was going to look like. So Zella had come in and told a whole entire camp that I'm going to world championships. She's told people on the airplane, like she's telling everybody, she is so proud of me. And she got to see that my dreams came true with so much hard work and with time and with tears and with sweat. And she saw that come together. And that's like, I can't think of a better experience to have with your child than them experiencing that with you. That's beautiful. And it was, it's such an important part because family is, means everything to me and everyone's family experiences are different, but, um, there's just nothing more important than just trying to show our kids, our children, or one child, like in my case, or in your case, just uh, that anything can be accomplished, you know, when you are willing to do the work and put the sacrifices in and set huge goals in life, that literally anything can be accomplished. And, you know, for them to dream big um, and talk about those things, you know, when they're growing up, and I was coaching my son in the dugout and all, you know, it's one thing to talk about things as a coach and as a dad, but it's another thing to set the example as a parent and do those things. And he was out there seeing me run the Boston Marathon so many times in New York and all these places. And you know what? It's, it's awesome. And the fact that she's at that age where it's totally unfiltered and she's literally telling every single person is the greatest, <laughs> you know, I mean, literally nothing could be greater. I wish my son could go back to six years old and be telling everybody like his dad is cool because at this age, yeah, that's not going to happen anymore, but no. you know, that's okay. I mean, yeah, you know, it's, you know, there was incentives because she knew she gets to go to Hawaii if, if I get a slot to Kona. So it's also if she was, you know, personally invested. Um, but yeah, so she's going to go with me to Kona. Um, and my my stepdaughter and her partner were also there to celebrate. I have, a, I have an older stepdaughter um, and, and they're going to come too. And so it was just this really great like family, like, you know, female experience of just like, you know, like just achieving this dream with other women who are really important to me and, and my daughter. And um, it made it that much more special. Um, so hopefully Kona will have the same kind of, I can't imagine it can't have the same kind of feeling. It's, you know, it's been a dream to cross that finish line for a long time. So I'm excited about it. Well, it's super empowering. Um, it shows the power of goal setting and also for her knowing she's invested because she knows she has a chance to go to Kona. And I can tell you firsthand, um, I've been to Kona. So when my friend qualified, um, he kept missing by one spot. Um, he worked for FedEx and he f- could fly on their cargo planes like anywhere in the world for the cost of tax of a ticket. So 
he was like you in that the longer the distance, the better he was. If it was a double Ironman to qualify, he would have had a better chance because the longer, the better. Um, and he would go, he did Ironman Lanzarote in New Zealand and Australia, and he loved traveling like I do. So it was an adventure, but he literally kept missing by one spot. And I kept telling him, I said, if you qualify, I'm going to Kona with you. And it just ended up that his family was all busy and they all had stuff going on. And I was like his guy. I like went out there with him. We were, went out there like five days early and I swam the whole 2.4 mile course with him. And I am the worst damn swimmer around, but there's so much salt in that water. It is so insanely clean. I mean, it is literally like finding Nemo for your daughter. Trust me. It's like put finding <laughs> Nemo wait. on like a hundred times and like you can see colors of fish you've never seen in your life other than maybe finding Nemo. You can feel the current change in the water. The temperatures shift by as much as like 10 degrees. You're swimming along and it's like 80. Then all of a sudden you feel like somebody turned the cold water on in the shower, but it passes because, you know, the, there's these, these streams of water and you could just feel it coming at you. And I'll never forget because Gatorade was the sponsor like all the way back then. We got to the turnaround buoy at 1.2 miles and I couldn't even see our hotel anymore, barely. And I was just like, What? We're this far out. Like, I, don't, I didn't have a wetsuit on either, but there's so much salt in that water. Like, amazing. I mean, you are going to have like the most amazing experience, the most ex amazing experience of a lifetime because I was on a Leahy drive. I mean, I heard Mike Riley calling those people home. I was out there cheering for those people that were finishing, you know, because it's the moon is out. It's like the full moon day in October when they always do the race, which is great because the sun sets so early, but um, there's more energy and more juice and more power for the people that are finishing later than the elites. As awesome as it is, and everyone wants to see who's going to be the, the female winner and the male winner and what time are they going to run? Is it going to be a course record and all? There is equally as much juice for anybody who's going to make the cutoff and the people will stay out there. And the elites go home and shower and come back and they're at that finish line cheering. And I can't even begin to tell you how insanely uh, juiced it's going to be for you. So, so, so awesome. Super exciting. I can't wait. I can't wait. Yeah, I'm really excited. Yeah. So let's talk about your race because, you know, you have a dream and you have a plan. But, you know, let's let's be real for a moment, because this is really not just for you and our own conversation, but for everybody who's going to listen. Um, this is the stuff I always like try to counsel and talk to people about when I coach, which I'm not coaching anymore. It's like the weather is always going to be the weather. The weather is the weather. That's my line. Like, look, here's the deal, man. I am the storm. That's that's your attitude. I ran in Boston in the monsoon. I can't tell you how many of my friends just freaked out and were like, Oh my God, what are we going to do? I said, what are we going to do? We're either going to run dead into a 35 mile an hour headwind the whole way, or we're going to get lucky and the wind's going to turn around and it's going to be a tailwind the whole way. There's absolutely nothing we can do. You know, the only thing you should be thinking about right now is what do you want to wear? That's it. That's what you should be thinking about. Are you going to wear a rain jacket? Are you going to wear a special hat? What kind of gloves are you going to wear? Because we knew it was going to be on the borderline of snow. It was going to be that cold, but we didn't know. And it ends up, if it had dropped a few degrees in with snow, it would have been far better off. But it was a, a two inches of rain, 35 mile an hour headwind for 26 miles. Because in Boston, you only run in one direction. So you, we ran into headwinds as high as 35 miles an hour, an average 20 plus for the day. So like that kind of day can destroy anybody, even the strongest person's mindset. But I know that going into that race, he, there's no one on earth who's going to run an Ironman or run a marathon or an ultra that's not looking at their weather channel two, three, four days before. So here it is, 
you're getting into Coeur d'Alene. You know it's a tough bike course already with like a ton of elevation. So I is it was it like seven thousand feet of climbing or no? Was- Ironman is don't no. It, 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 everybody's Garmin GPS roughly it's fifty five hundred. Okay, the Ironman you can never trust the and the run was supposed to be like I don't know nine. It was probably I think it was four is what my GPS have. It was way off. But I had done I had done the seventy point three there before, so I knew the bike course well and. For me, I love the climbing. I am always excited to climb. It's never a deterrent for me. And the more climbing, the better I do. And so that's actually like, that's a positive for me. Um, that That's it. But it is a hard course. Um, it actually felt harder than I remembered it being. Probably because it was like 104 at the turnaround at mile 90. That's probably added to the, the, the hardness of it for the day. Yeah. And you did say before, um, earlier in the episode, you did say that the harder the conditions, the harder the course, the harder the weather, the better your chances are to have like a good race. So, and that is important. You know, it's important for people listening, you know, not just you because like mindset is such an important thing and it's an important weapon that we have in our arsenal. And if you tell yourself you're strong and you believe it and that you can ride well in the wind or you can ride well on a difficult bike course or swim well in choppy water, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but it's going to at least help you try to deal with those, those particular elements. Yeah. And you know, I, I, and I, that is true for me. I actually lost that mindset a bit. I did Ironman 70 or the 70.3 St. George in May and it's a really hard bike course and the runs really hilly and hot. And I thought I would really do well. And I had a terrible run. I overbiked. I just, I had, you know, like it just, I had a really rough week, like emotionally going into it. And I just failed at, and I was like, maybe I'm not good in hard conditions. Like I really like second guessed it. And, uh, I had a couple of really amazing long runs and it was getting hotter in Phoenix. They were hard. They were hard. They were like, you know, um, faster than marathon pace. I mean, they were, they were like, it was 18 miles. 15 of them faster than marathon pace. Like it was, you know, hard and I killed them. And so I kind of got my confidence back, but I got, you know, I get there and you second guess everything before a race. And you're like, I don't know, like maybe this image I have myself is wrong. Like maybe I actually suck at hard stuff, you know? And I was able to be like, okay, like you're like, let's step, let's step back a little bit. And part of it is my dream is to go to Kona. And there are so many more Kona slots in this race because of COVID, et cetera. And so I knew like, if I just executed, there's, there's no way I wasn't going to get a Kona slot. There's just no way. And I was like, I'm going to mess it up. I'm a hundred percent going to mess it up. I'm not getting hard conditions. I'm, you know. And so I've had to like, really like calm myself down and just think through like, okay. It, and, and the other part of it is I usually, I was thinking of Ironman Coraline. I thought it would be a PR course for me. I thought I had another year of training. Like I was going to go fast here in my times and you see the temperature and suddenly all that's out the window and you have to rethink your entire race and your expectations are totally gone. So it was a mixture of doing those things and, you know, telling myself it's hot, you, you, you know, you ride in the heat, you're going to be fine. Just hydrate, use your nutrition. Don't be stupid. Don't overbite. You already learned your lesson. Just don't do it. Like, you know, listen to your coach. You won Ironman Malaysia. Just do what she says. You're going to be fine. Like just calm down. But it took a lot of mental talk to be ready on race day to stand there, you know, at the edge of the water, knowing that the day, like it, the nerves, it's always a nervous environment before an Ironman, but this race, people were freaking out. And rightfully so. It was, we had, it was almost, it was a 27% DNF rate, the highest ever of any Ironman. Like it was a hard day. Everybody knew it. Even the best athletes didn't knew if they actually were going to cross that finish line. And the nerves were really, it was intense. Like it was a very intense start to a race. Um, 
yeah, it was everybody kind of knew we're going to we're, we're doing something that nobody had done before. Like nobody, nobody raced an Ironman in this kind of heat before. Like maybe maybe two athletes had ever done it before, perhaps on a hotter day in Coeur d'Alene, but there's not many of them. Yeah. So you, you have some very historic things, you know, in front of you. Um, you know, there's more slots, which puts enormous amount of extra pressure on anybody who's capable of getting one of those spots. Like it's not, everybody thinks it's going to be like, oh yeah, I'm going to do this. No, that's the way our brains tend to work. Even the most positive affirmation focused people who have strong mindsets. It's the, a lot of times it's the other way. Like, oh man, like, you know, it should be like, man, I know I can do this time in these conditions. I know I can. It doesn't mean I will, but if I do, I'm going to make, I'm going to get my spot, like stay focused, stay in the moment, like whatever. And obviously, um, you know, the swim is not really a concern, you know, not for you. You don't have to worry about the swim at all. So one of the three things you're already checked off on and you like climbing, you like harder courses, but with, with that amount of heat, nutrition plays way more of a role, like a hundred times more of a role. Yep. My biggest fear was I would get to, I, Cycling is my strongest strength. I'm a very aggressive cycler. I do not like to be out biked. Like I will burn matches unnecessarily. Like it's the thing. And 7.3 is fine. And even like that, that's why St. George blew up on me is I just, I just biked a little too hard and I was so afraid I would do it again. And the nutrition, right? Like you just, you don't, you know, like I knew what I was going to do and I had a plan to take on a ton of calories and it actually it worked. Like I didn't know it was going to work, but it worked. But yeah, I mean, it's, my biggest concern was I would like the bike too much that I would, I would go too fast and I would forget about the run. And, um, you know, and my run running's not my strength. Like I need to bike well, cause I'll get run down. Um, interesting enough, not so much in this race. Like this is the, this is the least, least I've lost in a race, um, <laughs> um, positions because it was so hard and I was able to maintain my pace better than others. Um, but typically I need a good lead on the bike before somebody runs me down. So, it's just, I mentally knew and all day in the race, it was a mental check. Like it was checking Watts, checking speed, checking on myself, checking hydration, like making sure I was staying within what I was supposed to do and not get too excited on the bike. Um, and thankfully I was able to execute. Yeah. I mean, look, that's a lot of pressure. I mean, it's one thing it's in, insanely demanding physically beyond belief. Um, and then you have to you deal with the mental elements of like anybody who's ever completed an Ironman. And I don't care if you make the swim cutoff by one second, the bike cutoff by one second and the run cutoff by one second. Fact is, I don't even care if you finish after the run cutoff. I just don't care. If you've ever covered that whole distance, you have my ultimate respect. You have my total admiration. Um, and in fact, the longer it takes you, you have more admiration because it's the same thing with marathoners who can't run the whole distance or have to walk a huge amount of it. They're out there so much longer. They're on their feet so much longer. So they're in the elements so much longer. So you have my respect. And so do anybody who's ever been on the show feels that same way. Um, because I do read so often where people say, oh, I'm not a real runner. I don't run fast enough. And I'm just like, nope, I'm never going to let that fly. I climb right on comments. I'm like, I don't want to hear about it. That, that attitude, you need to erase that attitude yourself. No one is telling you that. Okay. You are allowing yourself to feel that way. So you need to change that voice in your own head, okay? You are a runner. You are an Ironman. You're a triathlete. And if you don't want to do Ironman, don't do Ironman. Do Olympic distance, you know, or do 70.3. And if you don't like marathons, don't do marathons. Run 5Ks. Like, you don't have to do what everybody else, you feel like the, the impetus or the push is. But you love Ironman. I love longer distance. But that doesn't mean somebody else out there is going to. And if it's not what you love, 
and you don't understand your own why, like what the hell are you going out there? The race is the payoff, man. The race is your chance to hurt and suffer for a chance to go to Kona or place a certain amount in your age group or improve your time by X. Whatever the hell your big hanging goal is, it can't just be about the destination. I want to go to Kona. You got to understand why are you in this sport? Okay. And somewhere in there, you know, between, you know, just trying to show your daughter she can be anything or me with my son, or there's so many layers to all of our whys. Okay. It isn't one, there isn't one why. There isn't one thing. There isn't one simple cut and dry thing why anybody will get out of bed on the hardest day of the year in the worst climate and say, I don't care about anybody else who's going to punch they're, you know, trying to punch their ticket to Kona. I'm riding in this weather. Okay. And I had my chance. All my friends were like, you can't be serious. You're not going to run the 60 miles in that weather. Like do it, just move it one week after your birthday. Who cares? I'm like, nope. I said I was doing it on my birthday. I know I'll have more people paying attention because I had people on Facebook live and Instagram live following. I'm like, I got to do this on my birthday. That's the commitment I made. I made that commitment to myself. And even though I never met Rivs and didn't even know him back then, in my mind, I had made a contract with myself and I had to live up to it. So that's it. You know, when you lock yourself in and your reasons are pure and you're doing it for the right reasons, and many times it's for something bigger than yourself, that's when you're going to really be able to move the needle in life. Absolutely. You know, my, uh, my coaching company's name is finding endurance. Um, and that's been a big piece of my journey through this is, um, not just in sports, but in, but in all areas of life and finding that piece of you that can just sit in the discomfort and live in it and move forward in it. You know, that's really a, at no point in some endurance event, you're going to be the most uncomfortable you've ever been mentally and physically in your life, you know? And again, this, this was a really hard race. And like that run was miserable. Um, and it's just, you know, like what, what are you going to do when shit gets real? What are you going to do when you're just, when you're uncomfortable, what are you going to do? Are you going to pick up the pace? You're going to stop, you're going to vomit and keep going. Like, what is it in those moments? And, you know, and you, and you find you can start to go longer in everything. Um, and you find your endurance, you find your resilience. Um, and that's, yeah, I mean, that's why I show up, you know, that's part of it. And that's special. It's neat to see other people experience that around you. And also, I mean, it's not like everybody's having a great day. Like it was, you know, like I I'm on the run, a woman collapsed in front of me. People were balled up in like in a ball on the side of the road and cramps. People were vomiting everywhere by the third lap. There's three loops. Everybody was walking except for, you know, whoever, whatever age groupers who were around me were trying to get to Kona or trying to have a faster time. It was like decimation. I've never, like, I've never seen that before. And people have described out on the, the bike course later in the day as like a bomb, like bikes were over there. People were hiding under the rider trucks to get shade. People had dug mud pits in like the ditch to like, get in them. Like it was crazy. Um, and everybody had their own level of fighting endurance that day, whatever it's not always pretty. It's not always good. And it's not, you don't always accomplish it either. Um, but it's that piece, whatever keeps you going, you know, to the finish line, the finish line, right. That's the, that's the fun part. That's the, you know, the part that we remember. And, um, but it's not the, you know, it's not the transformational part. No, it's not. And, you know, managing the heat, managing the nutrition, managing, you know, doing that properly kept you from cramping and not to say you, uh, when you're getting that much nutrition in, vomiting is almost always going to happen at high temperatures. So you could have been thrown up too, but I'll take vomiting any day over cramping because cramping can end a race. Cramping can literally send you out 
you can recover from vomiting. You can get, you know, if you can cool yourself off, harder to do, but there you have the cramping. I'm not, knock on wood, I'm not a cramper. I've never had that as an issue. I am like a heavy salt sweater. And so I use like highly concentrated sodium um, containers. And I'll, and I do, I do it, like I drink it daily when I'm training to Phoenix. Like I just know that I need it and I'm on top of it. Um, so no, I was lucky for hydration and nutrition. I had the most calories I've ever had on the bike. I was just crazy because it was so hot, but I finally found like the right combination with a, with liquid fueling and things. The same on the run, the most calories I've ever had on the run I had on that run, which is again, like not, it's not what I anticipated. I anticipated moving, you know, using Coke or something else like a tolerate, but I had those like that, those came later in the, in the run. Um, cause I was able to stay fueled. And then I had some crazy concoction of a Gatorade, Coke and water, like mix thing that seemed to work really well. And so that's, that's what I rolled with for a while. It's amazing what you decide that, you know, you would never think of, um, like 16 ounces of water in one aid station. Sure. Why not? Let's, let's see what happens to the gut. <laughs> let's, let's try it. And you know, let's Coke, try it. Why not? Coke yeah. is Coke is pure magic, and the ultra running community have learned that a long time ago. I mean, yeah. if you give yeah. a runner uh, a Coca Cola in their darkest moment, and you know, and every a lot of people want it defizzed and stuff, I bring on the fizz. I don't care. I'm not worried about burping, belching, or anything else. I'm just like, just give up the Coke, man. Give it up. Give me the sugar. Just mainline it. And I'm good. And, you know, I'm not going to stay on it the whole time. But, you know, like you said, Gatorade, whatever. I, I have celiac, so I can't eat pretzels, which are a very great thing to have in an ultra because they're dry as hell, but they got a lot of salt. And it's just an easy way to get salt in. But you're right. It's sodium is, is so important. And we all do sweat. Um, very different stuff is coming out of us from the inside. And if you don't know those things, you need to find it out somehow, whether it's in an actual race or in your long rides. Yeah, you, you have to know. And that's, and then mine's been your, I, I haven't always, this is the first race I've executed nutrition, like perfectly. It's the most calories dead on the first time in all my races for an, you know, an Ironman, especially. And so I'm, I'm really proud. That was a big deal. Like that was, that was it. That was Kona or not Kona was my nutrition hydration. That was dream or not dream was just getting it right and staying disciplined and on top of it. Um, and there are other factors, but if I didn't have that right, yeah, there's no Kona there's I'm 20th place. I'm walking the marathon. I'm not running in on in 10th place, you know, in 1135. I'm, I'm not doing that. It's a huge difference. And I think, I think my, my guess is that many people underestimated like how critical that was to be nailed down and I, I think that my, the benefit of me in Phoenix wasn't on the run. It was on the bike. It was being able to manage myself on a really hot ride. Cause I do it all the time that that's when I won. Um, and I think that's made the difference and it gave me the ability to have, and, and at some point it's just your grit. Like at some point after mile 20, it's either you have mentally, you can do it or you can't like you can force your body to move forward or you don't have it. Luckily that day I had it. I could run to aid station, aid station. Like that was the Coke. I was like, one more mile and get a glass of Coke. Like just one, one more, the faster you run, the faster you get the Coke, like just like keep going. Um, or like you get the ice I mean, for me. And it was, it was the Coke and the ice down my bra, like whatever <laughs> like incentives I had to give myself um, to get there. So it's a lot of it's execution. It's execution until it's not. It's execution until it's whatever is in your head that can make your body go. And that's what you have. Um, and that's what it came down to with, you know, in the last couple miles of the marathon is what, what can I do? I set myself up perfectly. You have to set yourself up with the swim and the bike, half of the marathon with your hydration, nutrition, and effort. And it's that last back half of the marathon is mental grit. And like, if you execute it well, your body's there, you, it can go, you haven't messed it up, it's ready to go. It's just mentally, what can you take out of it? And what can you bring to the table that day? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so much in there. So I haven't asked to this point, what did you use for nutrition? 
So on the, um, the bike, I use scratch super fuel It's their new, it's 400 calories, um, per bottle. Um, and it has all your hydration in there as well. And then I add the right stuff, which is that super sodium concentrate to it. Got it. Um, and so I used a packet and a half of right stuff across three bottles of scratch. So that three total bottles of that. And the water, I don't know how much water I had. I had water every aid station, new bottle over the head, new one in the thing all the time. And then I use scratch chews. And cliff blocks as my like, you know, slightly more non-liquid food on the bike. And the run, I just use um SIS gels and I had backup scratch and the right stuff and little like containers that I end up drinking. Um, because I lost my base salt somewhere on the my chapstick and base salts fell off. And I decided not to go get them and waste like four seconds and would have took to like run back and get them. So thankfully I had that for salt. And then eventually I moved to, I had, I was able to consume gels all the way to mile 20, which I've never be able to have gels that long in a marathon. Um, and then it was Gatorade, Coke and water, um, Gatorade. I started mile 14 Coke was mile 16 water, you know, it was just constantly, it was like, I would take four cups, two over the head and two in my, you know, two in my mouth. <laughs> that's how I ran and eventually Gatorade and whatever. So that, that's what I, and it worked out well. I, 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 I had, it was yeah, it was well, it was perfectly executed. I just, I couldn't have asked for anything more as far as what I got out of myself that day. And the ice is, uh, the ice is key too. The um, ice is key. And that's how I run at home. I, in Phoenix, I'll park my car and I'll have a cooler with ice and all my hydration and I'll run loops like intervals around the car and I'll stuff everything with ice, drink a ton of water and nutrition and go, which is exactly what the rate, this is exactly what happened on race day. It was as if I was training precisely for this race. Yeah. I watched, uh, the Western States 100, which hit 106, mm-hmm. um, at points and for the same weekend. Yeah. It was the yeah. same weekend. And you know, the, they're just so cutting edge on what to wear in terms of clothing and fabrics and absorption. And, um, you see as they go through the aid stations, how they're dealing with ice and the women are packing it in their sports bras and the guys are, if they have arm sleeves, they're putting it in their arm sleeves and around their bandanas and just all these different places. And, it's just remarkable to see like the human will people that are counted out, like no way they're asleep. You know, they're 30 miles to go. There's no way they're going to drop out. Nope. They still finished. They actually did it. And other people just vomiting, like you were talking about in the Ironman, vomiting, 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 because they were having nutrition issues earlier because that's how it usually manifests itself. And man, it's, if you don't get it right on a bad weather day, you're done for. And it isn't just the heat. My Boston day, which was, we called it the perfect storm because it was like the monsoon. It got so cold, Jennifer, that no one could open a gel. Like your hands were so frozen and so numb. I've been there. And what was yeah. happening is every, you try to take a gel out of your pack, you know, your little waste pack or whatever. And, you know, you're trying to rip it open and boom, it falls on the ground. Your hat blows away 35 mile an hour wind. You're like, <laughs> it's one thing, you know, not to get your chapstick and lose four seconds. But it's another thing when you only yeah. have a few gels and the aid stations are basically blown up. I mean, they're like a war zone, you know? And it's like, okay, that's what wrecked more people's races in Boston. Even though it was cold and nutty, you're not getting anywhere near enough nutrition. So that's always it. It's calories and it's sodium. And somewhere in that, you know, concoction, the chemistry assignment and our guts, you know, being able to hold it down or not hold it down and allow us to keep propelling a bike or run or whatever we're doing, man. If, If we don't get it right, we're out. You know, so you yeah, nailed yeah. you nailed that part, and that set you up to be in position to do what you're doing. So you said it was a three loop course on the run, right? 
Yeah, through loop on the court. Right. And so it was neat. So there you run through this park. It was like a water park. There was like a splash pad. So my daughter and then my stepdaughter and her partner were there. And I didn't know where I was in the race until my going on to my second loop. Um, because there's no we had no body marking, there's no ages because of COVID. There's none of that. So typically you at least like have an idea, no idea who anybody is. And so I don't and I don't see them until second lap. So I'm in ninth place then, tenth is five minutes back, eighth is too far. And so I do my second loop, but I'm staying really steady and consistent with my pacing. And they tell me that 10th is two minutes back. So she's going to pass me. Like, there's no way, like, I don't have any more speed. This is what I got. I don't know where 11th is. I was pretty confident with the slots that, like, 9th for sure was yes. 10th was a maybe. 11th, I think, was out. Um, and I would have to wait. And I just, like, I didn't want to be out. Like, I really, like, I, I'm okay with a bubble, but it's got to be in the bubble. And I... At that point, I was like, okay, like I, I can't run any faster, but sure, like if somebody passes me running faster than me, so be it. And I'm running fast. If I am walking and vomiting and somebody's passing me, I'm gonna be pissed because I run a great race until now. So I decided to walk every aid station, get extra cool, extra fluids to make sure I could run what I needed to run. And you know, my pace has slowed, but like it was the most consistent run I've had of any of my Ironman marathons. It was the best I've ever executed that. Usually I'm like hunched over pace drops dramatically. I bonked all the other ones. I wasn't like, I was slow, but not that much slower. Like I wasn't quick, but like I was consistent. Um, and I was really happy. I was happy with those choices. It was the right choice. I stayed cool. I was able to keep my 10th place spot and it was good enough, you know, for Kona. And I'm, I'm happy. I was able to, to stay. And that was hard. Like, it sounds easy when you say it, but like, you know, you get that turnaround, you got four miles left and it's all uphill. And it's just like, it is, it's just really, you know, it's just hard. It's just, um, it's one of the hardest things I've ever done. Every time, every Ironman is one of the hardest things I've ever done before. Um, and you know, you just, you just gut it out, um, and just push through what you can. The good thing is, I mean, the thing that was comforting to me is I would see other people in loops, other runners, and I was, they weren't, they should, I knew them. So they should be faster than I was, but I was seeing them the same time on the loops. And I was like, well, if they're not running that much faster than me, I'm slow, but they must be slow too. So there's a little bit of this like understanding, like if it's 104 for me, it's 104 for everybody. You know, like if I'm suffering, everybody's suffering. It's not just my like, you know, solo experience there. And so that was helpful to like, you know, to keep going. But every part of me was like, why aren't we walking? Like that person's walking, that person's walking. Like, come on, <laughs> how Kona's not that great. Like, do you really want to do this in 14 weeks? No, we don't want to do this again. What are you thinking? It's going to be way hotter there, you know, but those voices went away. Well, you, you manage the voices. That's what it's about. And you managed and made good decisions. You made good decisions um, when it's not easy to make good decisions because it's very easy to say, I'm going to try to press a little bit here because 10th place is going to come and take me out and I'm going to miss my spot or 11th is going to come to, and I'm going to get pushed out by one. So that's when we start to make bad decisions. And then, you know, you maybe you run 20 seconds, 15 seconds faster a mile for two miles, but then you're done. Then you're walking for like the last eight miles and you don't even realize that you were that close to executing it and pulling it off, which is what you did. So, you know, line. you know, yeah. you gotta, you gotta think about the aid stations. It's, it's, it, it, I tell people all the time with ultras, particularly people that haven't done a 50 miler before, maybe done a 50 K before, or maybe it's their first hundred or the first hundred K. You can't think about this like it's a marathon. It's not a marathon. You're going to be out there like three times longer, four times longer, 10 times longer. Like those eight stations, you need to come up with a plan and you need to execute that plan. And to me, 
I go in there and just hang out for a little while. That's all. It's an ultra. And I'm not talking about in the first 20 or 30 miles, but once I get out over, you know, 50K or so and a long ultra, that's when I'm going to start literally like stopping in the aid station, like, you know, stop, get something down, a little bit of solid of something. I don't care if it's potato chips, whatever it is, chocolate candy, whatever it is. I have celiac, so I can't just eat anything they have, but they're really good. They'll have plain boiled potatoes in there and sea salt. You know, there's things in there that are very simple. And because of COVID, you know, we can't have, you know, our, our crews and stuff. It's been a little bit unique and different right now, although that's all going to start changing. We're going to start being able to get back to racing more the way we're used to. Like you're talking about not getting marked up and not knowing where people are. That's tricky because that's how you know. I mean, that's how you have some sort of an idea. Um, you know, you said you qualified for world age group championships, which is a big, big deal. I qualified for the world marathon age group championships in London. And, you know, we're going to have special bibs. And yeah, that's how I'm going to know in the 60-year-old age group you know, who's in what place when I come up on somebody. Um, I'm not going to worry about the guys with the other color bibs, although that's not true. I'll chase anybody, man. If anybody comes up on me or you know, anybody's in front of me, I'm always going to try to hunt somebody down. But yeah, I mean, we are focused on our age group more so, uh, particularly when something like that's on the line. Yeah. Yeah. And those voices too. I think one thing to know in endurance sports is you have highs and lows and both of them come and pass. And it's hard to remember that sometimes during the lows, but I remember at one point I was running the second half and I was like, I'm from Arizona. Like, bring it, Idaho. This isn't hot. Like, I got this. I was like killing it. And then, like, immediately, I was like, oh my God. So, and it, but it's knowing, like, if you can, if you have the ability to take a step back and be like, I'm in a low spot, it's going to pass. It's not, I'm not going to be low like this, you know, and I'm going to work through it, like, because you feel like it's like the end of it. But if you're able to, like, manage those things, that makes a huge difference, too. Um, it's how you manage those voices that come in and out. Cause it's always, it's lots of them and it's how you kind of use them and then try to find the one that works for you in that moment and bring that voice in, um, and ignore the ones that are just not, or acknowledge them and then just let them roll, you know, roll through. I'm not really into blocking things. I, my toenail came off somewhere at like mile 14, which is really painful. Um, but <laughs> it turns out, and I, you know, typically like would have blocked it out and I was like, okay, toe, like I hear you, you're in a lot of pain. I can't do anything about it, but I swear to you, I will fix you later. And it kind of just went away as opposed to like blocking in this like constant tapping of pain. Like it just kind of absorbed in and same with those voices. Like if you can absorb the man, like I hear you, I think I hear that. I think I can do this. I think you're wrong. I'm going to keep on going until I know for sure I can't. And then eventually they'll fade away and a new voice will come in. And you can take that one on. Yeah. I mean, it's like you got to address the elephant in the room. Um, and if the voices, when the voices get loud enough, um, that, you know, body parts are then being affected, like IE cramping and I've cramped in ultras and I've just been like, okay, here's, what's going to go down. We're 39 point something miles. We still have 11 miles to go. So guess what? Does anybody here in this body of mine think we're not finishing 50 miles? Because like you guys know me better. <laughs> These are out loud conversations. I'm not worried about who's coming you know, near I, me. I don't no, care. If somebody, I, I talk yeah. to my, yeah. Yeah. So these are- I talk to my foot. I actually literally got loud talk to my foot. Yeah, I was, you know, whatever. <laughs> Delusional. <laughs> we can definitely be friends because it's like, okay, so calf, you know, you cramp all you want. We're going to go sideways. We're going to go backwards. 
we're going to do whatever the hell we need to do, but we sure as hell ain't stopping before we get to 50 miles. So you might as well like get on board and join the party. I promise you, this is my fault. I just want you guys to know it's my fault. I fucked the nutrition up. It's on me and I'm going to do everything I can at every aid station to fix it. You know, I'm going to get more salt in, do all this stuff, try to help, but we're still moving. So you might as well just like cut the cramping shit. And I swear, I know it's nuts. It's impossible, but I was able to run a few more miles to the aid station. And I really believe the brain is that powerful that we can like override this stuff, you know, obviously not life and death, but this kind of stuff. Yes, we can divert the conversation and say, nope, Sorry, we got to get, you know, you, we could, you think anybody's quitting here? No, we're not, we're not quitting. Okay. We've got work to do. So let's just, let's join the party. Let's go. Are you in or are you out? Yeah, exactly. Let's go. Yep. Yeah, right. exactly. I mean, toenails? Who needs a toenail? <laughs> you know, come on, man. We don't, yeah, Fine. Yeah. We don't need a toenail. <laughs> Nine well, other ones. They're yeah. back. <laughs> or you got big black ones like me. I mean, whatever, you know, so awesome. So, um, so you, you've, you're dealt with the nutrition, you dealt with the mental side. You didn't know, obviously, like this was happening, like it was going to happen. But, you know, coming in on that last loop, um, when did you see your daughter last or your group? It wasn't just your daughter. Obviously, you had a group of people out there that were rooting for you and cheering for you. When did you see them last? And did you know in that last time around, if it was like coming up onto the red carpet, did you know at that point you know, that you had the Kona spot or you really had no idea, like it was just up in the air, right? Yeah, it was um, because because the way slots were down is based proportionally on how many starters there are. And so like there somebody in the Facebook group was great and put all of in like the hypothetical, like likely slots available. I love triathletes. We've got lots of we're crazy. Um, and so that was um, it was nine slots was hypothetical, which ended up being accurate. And I knew that one of the women I was good friends with was already going to Kona. So there was at least, or there was eight, I thought there was eight slots. It'd be one roll down nine for sure. And that's why I thought Temple was going to be on the bubble. Um, but I did end up being nine slots, but I had no idea. And so I didn't see my daughter again until I crossed the finish line. They were kind of over here cheering. And um, Coeur d'Alene is this amazing finish line. You basically run through town into the red carpet. And I, there was like, I had like the whole road to myself. It's called Sherman Avenue. So it was like me um, running down Sherman Avenue. And like, and people could hear my daughter cheering. So we got more excited when they knew that she was my daughter and they're cheering. And, you know, Mike Riley called me across the, the line, which is always amazing. Um, and you know, and then uh, the volunteer, I, I made sure they knew I wasn't going to like die. And I hugged my daughter and I ran right at, well, ran, I hobbled right into the lake. I was like, I need to get in the lake right now. And I like took a pic picture and just like jumped in. Cause the, I was, I, and I was the best idea possible. Like, I think that prevented lots of like, you know, the ensuing sickness was about to occur was the 70 degree lake, you know, stayed it off. But I saw her then and she was excited. I mean, she was, I have a video on my Instagram post. She was like losing her mind when they called me across as an Ironman. She was so excited. So we didn't know, like we knew there was like a shot. Um, and we went back to our place and had dinner and I didn't know, um, they had at some point put it on the app, but actually how many spots. So a friend on Instagram was just like, I think you got it. I was like, what do you mean? It's like 10 o'clock at night. And I went on the app and saw there was nine slots and I knew that there would at least be one roll down to me. And I knew that I had it. And, you know, I didn't know this at the time, but 11th pace was running up on me. She got really close to me. And if I hadn't executed my run the way that I did, I probably would have been 11th. Like if I hadn't actually like stay consistent, stay cooled off, like I might've lost it. 
Um, and so knowing that now that I ran the best run ever, that I made the right choices that I, you know, it, it, it was able to get in just in the nick of time and get that spot in front of my daughter. And so I ran into her room and I hugged her and we all screamed and cried. And, you know, the next morning I went down and got my spot and a lot of friends from Phoenix came just to get a spot. They all got their spots. It was a really, um, it was a special day because there's a lot of people who didn't think that Kona was going to be in their horizon anytime soon, like had the hardest race of their life to get it. And everybody felt it was me. It was a great experience to be a part of. And I'm just really happy. Um, Kona's on my birthday. So I will be 38 while racing Ironman uh, World Championships, which makes it extra special. Um, it's a really great way to to ring in a birthday. So, or I think it is. Maybe I'll regret it entirely. You know, when, I, when I'm trying to when again on that mile 21 hits. But it's um, it was a really magical and special experience, and I um, it was everything I ever dreamed that it would that it would be. It was well. Not only is it everything you ever dreamed it could be, but you also had your daughter seeing you in that moment, experiencing that moment. And she's never going to forget it, but you're never going to forget her reaction. You have it on video, all that other stuff. So just, just so amazing. Um, just unbelievable life stuff, transformational, super exciting, emotional stuff. And, um, you know, if you didn't manage the run the way you did, you said you might not have, no, you would not have, I can assure you there's no way on earth if you weren't like taking those breaks through those aid stations and getting those extra calories in and dumping the water on your head and getting the Coca-Cola, you would have got run down. Fact. Okay. Not maybe fact. Yeah. So keep that I in your been, memory no, bank. And, and if I had burned, yeah. And if I had burned three more matches on the bike, I wouldn't have had the run. I mean, it's all those, like, it's a long day, but it comes down to like two decisions. It comes down to like just little things that either make or break you because it is it's that thin line like you are racing at your absolute limit and it can go either way and it's uh it, you don't you don't know back in the day which decision it was that led you there and I, it's the run it's a little bit of the bike but I would have yeah, 100% would have been run down and for me my confidence has never been in my run or my run execution and to know that I finally executed the run the way that I should effectively and it got me to Kona is a huge boost to my confidence just going forward in the sport that I can, I can do it. I can execute it. I can run it. Like, you know, I can run in hard conditions. I can be consistent. I'm not going to mess it up. Like I did all my other ones. Um, and I needed that boost. I think it was, um, I think it'll serve me well going forward. Yeah. I mean, it's huge learning experiences and you learned about your bike experience at St. George. So you learned, um, you know, about not pushing too hard and blowing up and look, Watts and power and all this other stuff that we can refer to and gauge to. There's always going to be an ego. We all have an ego, every single one of us. And you said that on the bike, you have it more. So that's something you're just going to have to manage because if you, if you govern that and are able to hold back that little bit, you're going to have that much more available to you on the run. And you know, like, yeah, the coolest thing in the world could be just running a race where you're just like, Nope, I'm not paying attention to anything. I'm just going. I'm going to run and feel. I'm not looking at anything. I'm just, that's I'm how, racing. That, that's how I ran. Yeah. That's pretty much how I ran. Cause, cause the heat, I did a little bit of heart rate in the beginning, but then I was like, you know, I would check in on pace to make sure I'm not like this get, you know, cause you get tired. You can misjudge a bit too. Um, but it was feel it was, I, I, I like to race like that too. I like to just feel what it is in my body and race that way. And that's, uh, I think triathletes get a little kind of hung up on data a lot. I'm very focused on data and training, but when I race, I like to feel it. Um, it just makes me feel more connected to what I'm doing. 
Good. Well, that's something I give advice to to anybody who's willing to listen, which is anybody who listens to this show. Um, yeah, you train <laughs> hard on data, use the data for your heart rate and your power metrics and everything else that you have available to you. But a race is not about that stuff. A race is about catching the person in front of you, holding off a person, you know, managing your effort on the hills, in the wind, in the difficult stretches, and just saying, okay, I made it through this section. Now I get to focus on the next section because look, it's a crazy amount of time you're out there. It's a long day. It's 11 plus hours of day. race decisions, of fuel decisions, of body parts talking to you, telling you to stop and get the hell out of here and get off your feet. And you know, people always ask like, what do you think of? Like, oh my gosh, it's so long. And I was like, you're like, are you bored? Like never you're making decisions every minute. Like I'm never like maybe eventually your wine will wander a little bit, but like, no, like you were making decisions all the time. You were thinking all the time. Like I'm never, I'm never at a loss for things to think about when I'm out there on a race, even in 11 and 11 hours and 35 minutes. It's, uh, it's hard to describe to people. It seems crazy, but it's true. Swimming too, feet, bubbles, buoy, person next to me, elbow, feet, you know, it's just those constant things that the rhythm that you get into. And it's, um, it's exhausting mentally with all those decisions that you make. Yeah. And definitely. And if you're not prepared for it mentally, then you're going to, you're going to struggle more and you're going to suffer more. And, you know, that's why a race plan is so important. I mean, the race day is about executing, but in your mind, you still have to have some sort of a plan. Like how much fuel are you going to take in? Yeah. You know, who are you going to see out on the course? Where are people going to be? You know, it's the Mike Tyson line. Everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. I mean, that's what Iron Man is. Like you go into it the plan, but you have to know that your plan will probably, you probably have to deviate at some point and you have to be prepared for that too. Like you have to be prepared for your plan sucking. <laughs> um, and then what are you going to do then? And so it's, you know, it's both of like having a plan and then knowing like at some point the plan's not going to work and what are you going to do then? What decisions do you make then? Um, what happens when you get punched in the face? The longer the distance, the more that is a fact. Okay. The yeah. shorter the distances, shorter distance, you yeah. know, it's, it's a very different animal and it might be just about how much pain and suffering can you actually take. And, you know, maybe that's what you're more cut out for, but ultras, marathons, Ironman 70.3s, there are problem solving. It is problem solving 101, 102, 103. It just keeps going and going, and going. You will be challenged. And the more exhausted you are, the more your brain doesn't really want to cooperate and join the party. So it's not exactly easy making these decisions, which is why it's really helpful to have a crew, to have people out on the course, people who understand what you're doing or trying to do. If they see you and they're out there and they could give you some real life feedback based on how the day's going, other than, yeah, you look great, Jennifer. <laughs> yeah, you look great, Rod, right. or whatever. <laughs> my, yeah. my favorite is, you're almost there. Yeah. I, I was, we came around, we were one mile into the run and this woman, you're almost there. And this other woman, I looked at each other and we're, we're just like, F you. Like we're not, we've got we have 25 more miles. We're not almost there. Yeah, we're, we're close. Um, yeah, we're close. Yeah. I, I get it. Proportionally, we're closer than we were before. But like, that's not what you say to people in Ironman. Like, no. Nope. Nope. So you dive in the lake, you know, you get to hug it out and have a cool video moment with your daughter. You get to find out it's actually validated like that night. But what's it been like since then? I mean, you know, obviously it's, a, is it a couple of weeks now? What are, are we like a week, a week and a half? Are we two weeks? A week and a half. Week It'll and be a half. two weeks on, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what I thought. So what's um what's it been like since then, just like mentally processing it all and, and how, how have you been feeling? I mean, I'm sure lots of people have just been reaching out to you and 
giving you congratulations, kudos, et cetera? Like what's it been like? I mean, it's been, you know, it's kind of one of those, like, you're kind of like, oh, like I did it. Like, I didn't think I would, you know, like I wasn't, I was prepared for like the moment of achieving it, but I wasn't prepared for like the when like afterwards. And the first thought and when I woke up in the morning was like, oh my God, I have to do this again in like October. (laughs) I started to be like building for this race now. Um, And so it was, you know, we traveled back and it's been, uh, I haven't been training very much, just trying to recover, you know, from an Ironman so I can pick up training, you know, pretty soon from now. And it's been it was really fun writing the race report and telling the story and sharing with other people. And it's, it's fun to share. I love sharing races. I love sharing anything about triathlon. So I'm happy to talk for hours about it. And it's been great living in that. I think the part to me that I think is so special is like, once you're kind of qualified, you, you're always kind of qualified. Like once you're a Boston marathon qualifier, you're always, you know, people can't take that away from you. And it, it's a really huge achievement and I'm really excited. I got to achieve it. And I say that, you know, I said this to my coach, like, well, there were more slots than usual. Like next time I'll have to be at the top of the podium. Like it's this. And she's like, stop. She's like, that was a brutal day. And you executed perfectly in hard conditions on a brutal day. And you earned it. I don't want to hear about not like not earning it just because there was more spots. Um, and so I, I, I had that mentality. I was like, you're right. Like who cares? There, you know, I didn't write the rules. Like I'm, you know, sorry, COVID. The one good thing out of COVID is there are more code slots at this race, you know? Um, and, and I still earned it and I'm, I'm proud. I'm just really proud of it. I'm really proud of myself. I'm proud of the effort. And I am really energized. I'm energized to race Kona, you know, before I always thought, cause it's so hard. It's such a hard race. Kona is that I would probably just like, not really race it. I would just like enjoy it. But after Coraline, I'm like, hell yeah, I'm going to race it. I clearly do really well in the heat. Like I should race it. Like I might really put up a performance that is surprising. Um, I might, you know, I might've been 10th in this race, but who knows what I can pull out with more weeks of training and, and training in Phoenix and train at seven K and then train in Phoenix. Like, I mean, I'm really excited about it. I'm excited to see what I can do against like the best. And I'm excited to, you know, share the course with the best triathletes in the world some of the best athletes in the world. Um, and when I was a kid, I used to watch Ironman on you know the coverage they were showing NBC. And I remember, um, this Ironman 1997, where two, the two women were, were crawling, like to get to the finish line, the bodies totally gave out. Julie and it was, Moss. no, it wasn't Julie Moss. So Julie Moss was the first, this mm-hmm. is 1997. And it okay. was Natasha. Yeah. And it was the Natasha two women were battling out. There you go. And, um, uh, Wendy Ingram, they were battling it out. And I remember watching that being like, what are, this is crazy. Like I couldn't like, who does this? Who could do this? You know, but part of me, there was like a spark, like, wonder if I could do that. Like, no, there's no way, but maybe. And so, you know, for me, like as, as always wanting to be a competitive athlete, never thinking I was never knowing how to, to now prove to myself and to that girl that watched those two women that like, I have it, I can do it. I can suffer with them. I'm, I'm an athlete. I'm good at it. I'm very good at it. So girls that I get to go to world championships. Um, and I'm doing this in my, you know, my late thirties after having a daughter, after a career change, all these things I'm doing it and I'm, you know, I'm good at it and I love it. Like, that's a really, I'm glad that that girl inside gets to see that. I'm glad that girl gets to see that she was right, that she actually could do those things, that that spark, she had the curiosity was right. And it was, you know, foretelling as to what the future might be. And I get to like fulfill these dreams of myself as a girl, as my daughter, as my stepdaughter, who's watching me as people who follow me on Instagram. Like, I feel like I get to carry all of these and achieve this dream for me, but for other people too, like but there's, you know, that's a part of athletics. We all get invested in each other. And, you know, and the crazy thing with Instagram is like people I don't know are invested in me. Um, and it's really like, I feel that. And it's beautiful to know all these people were cheering for me who don't really know me as a person, but they're invested in me. 
Um, and it's, I'm excited to take that to Kona and that energy and feel that and just be a part of it. Um, cause I'll forever be a part of it. You can't, can't take that away. Never. And you're going to get to be on TV in the best televised sporting event in the world. There's no better oh, sporting event than Kona, the, the human interest stories they share and the different athletes that are struggling through cancer or other life situations that they, you know, do profiles on and the storytelling, not to mention, as you said, the best athletes in the world racing in the toughest, you know, usually harshest conditions, but, uh, your daughter, you get to go do the finding Nemo swim in in the bay. Uh, and see just how clear that water is and see what I'm talking about. And you're going to be like, hey, Ron was right. I could see down 150 feet. And even, you know, I've never seen water so clean or clear. Um, that's going to be remarkable. And, you know, finishing on the red carpet to yourself in Coeur d'Alene in such a beautiful place is magic because it doesn't happen. Usually you got all kinds of people bumping into you and they're in the camera yeah. and they're was, raising their hands and you're elbowing each other and you're trying to have your own finish line moment. You got to have your own, but... You know, Kona, Ali, it, it was indicative to how hard, yeah. yeah, that was indicative to how hard the race was, race was that, you know, there wasn't that. But yeah, to run down Alihi Drive and the energy for my daughter to be able to feel that energy and know that like her mom's a part of it and, and earned a spot there. You know, she worked her ass off to get there. That's, um, I can't wait for that. It's a good birthday. All huge things and on your birthday. So um, we've covered some super awesome stuff. They're going to inspire, your story's going to inspire a lot of people. Um, you know, getting it done in the most ridiculously crazy hot, you know, conditions, 27% highest, uh, dropout rate, highest attrition rate ever in Ironman. So to get there on that day in those conditions, to get a chance to go to Kona, qualify for world championships, crazy, super inspiring. Is there anything we didn't get to, um, that's top of mind or important to you, um, that we didn't cover in the episode that you want to get to before we roll out? You know, I think the message would just be, you know, I, I, I found myself after giving up a career, after becoming a mom through, through this sport. And I think what always sticks with me is I feel I'm not a different person, but I'm certainly a transformed person than I used to be. And I found, have found, I mean, I found a new career. I'm now a triathlon coach. That's my new career. And I, um, and I, I, I help with a I run with a cycling company in Costa Rica. We do cycling trips. Like my whole life has changed because of sport and not being an athlete. I never knew that was possible. I didn't know that sport could do that. And so, you know, for women out there, especially for moms who are lost, who don't know who they are now, who are caught up in mom life and maybe lost themselves, try sport. Like try, like you said, try a 5K, try a sport because it is, it is transformational what you can do when you're able to push your mind, both mentally and physically. And it completely transformed my life. Um, and it's been so powerful. And I just, you know, if the message can come across, if my story can do anything, it can, it can show you that like wherever you are now, if you need a change, if you need a way out, if you need a transformation, like sport is a way. Um, and I really encourage anybody to try a triathlon, you know, try a 5k, go swim, whatever it is, find a challenge that suits you and go do it. Cause it, um, you, you, you will be really different on the other side. I love the message. Uh, definitely a great place to land it. And, uh, it's been super fun, you know, talking to you and getting to know you, Jennifer, um, really inspiring stuff. And I know it's going to move and definitely inspire lots of people listening to your story. So really appreciate you coming on and sharing all of it with me and the Run Chats audience. And as we say at the end of every episode, we tell everybody to keep lacing them up, to keep getting out the door, and always remember to stay in the fight. Peace out, everybody. Wow. How much inspo is in that episode? 27% attrition rate 
Nearly three out of 10 people dropped out of that race. These are Ironman athletes, people, people who've been training for well over a year during COVID, where races were canceled and sidelined that were waiting for this opportunity. More Kona slots were available, which meant more opportunities to earn your ticket there. And people couldn't keep going in that race. So for Jennifer to put it all together, to get her nutrition right, to get her pacing and her watts and her power right, and to just keep pushing forward in those extreme conditions says so much about her grit and her want and her why. Uh, it just was a wonderful episode. I always love having the opportunity, being raised by such a strong single mom, one of three boys. It gives me great pride to share stories of women who are badasses and moms and are just doing awesome things out there in the world of sports and in business. And Jennifer certainly meets all that criteria. So this one was special to me. I enjoyed it very much and I hope you all do as well. And uh, continue to say thank you to everyone who shares our episodes on IG stories, on Facebook, wherever you feel this episode might resonate, could help get somebody up off on the couch. Just think about the fact that Jennifer didn't start doing triathlon until four, maybe four and a half years ago, and she's going to Kona. Uh, certainly, she's a rare case and has exceptional work ethic and is willing to just really grind at levels that most of us couldn't comprehend. But it's such an inspiring story. So I hope you will do your part as Run Chat's audience often does, and just push this one out there to your friends, to anybody who needs a jolt of inspiration, a little shot of electricity to get them going, maybe get them re-motivated with races starting to happen again in triathlon, in marathon, and ultramarathon. So anyway, peeps, I thank you all so much for the support you give me for the show and for continuing to be part of the Run Chats fam. So we say at the end of every episode, keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door, and always remember to stay in the fight, my friends. Peace out. <laughs>